Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm Steve Smith, episode 134. Excited tonight to talk to Steve Campbell. Steve and I go way back, 40-some years, I'm going to guess. But let me say just one thing about our fact checker. I can only say that if we went through all the mistakes I make, it would be a we would break our record. We would be the longest podcast just going through the mistakes. The great Ben Shelton, what a player. Todd Witzkin was his uncle, not his brother-in-law. Uncle on his mother's side. Let me just say that Sabatini was a great player at 15. I made the mistake between singles and doubles, but if you just Google her background, amazing. But let's get going. Uh, I'll give Steve a call and... I think that gets us rolling. If I can do this. The machine is only the smartest operator. I've got to start again. Dialing. And there's a pause in the action. Slow motion. Hello, this is Steve. Steve and Steve. You're the good, you know, I'm the good looking Steve. You're the better looking Steve. You're the guy with the full head of hair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you look a lot younger yeah. than you are, but you're not on video. The poor people watching this, if they do string a racket, and I know some people do that, they got to look at me. So there's actually a song that says, Hello, me, meet the real me. So I don't know which of that is, but yeah. Well, so many, um, so many things to yeah. talk about. Let's uh, let's talk. Yeah. About, let's talk about the, your Beetle Room first. Let's go through that. I was fortunate Beetle to room. be a guest in your house, your house, uh, Wintergreen Resort, Wintergreen, Virginia, where you are now. But several years ago, with your wife Colleen, the two of you were running Kapalua, a beautiful place in Hawaii. But tell us about the the rock and roll room you got. Well, I'm pretty much a child of the 60s i'd say and i still can't turn loose of the the music or the visuals of it so i i'd say i've still got a, a lot of those qualities still in me but uh no not necessarily the free love since i'm married now you know but all uh, the rest of it i, I did big beal fan and yeah dress i slept a lot of that material around with me you know on our journey from Texas to Hawaii to now Virginia. So yeah, that's, yeah, it's my little, little bit of, uh, I guess, childhood history. I keep preserved there. Oh, listeners, one of his guest rooms, it is a museum, a tribute to the Beatles, posters and photos and records. It's really, it's quite a collection you have. Yeah. My thanks. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think I've, I've had a lot of that stuff since uh, since I was a kid in Texas. I mean, I like I used to collect all that kind of stuff, and you know, I've just like I said, growing up in Texas, you, we all like rock and roll. I mean, went to school in Austin too, so you know, it's, music's a big big part of our life. And Texas as is other places, but we are kind of partial to Tex Mex and Texas kind of music there. The Yellow Rose of Texas. Uh, yeah, and Tyler too, right? <laughs> yeah, Tyler, Texas, uh, yeah. The, the rose capital of the yeah. world. I know sometimes yeah. uh, we in the U.S. they will say the capital of the world, but it might be just the rose capital of the U.S. Um, 
you used to be able to buy yeah. a, a, a dozen roses on the, on the side of the road for a dollar. I one time went to a wedding and I took um, 50 dozen roses. And I had, two, you couldn't do that today. I had two, two buckets of water and the uh, wedding was on Martha's Vineyard. And so I had a, my carry-on was, a, I was carrying two buckets and I had some water in them. But when I finally got to the Boston airport to get on this small airplane, you had to be weighed. And they told me I couldn't take the, the, the two heavy buckets of water. They weren't that heavy, about halfway full. And anyway, I just said, no, no, I have to take these. Let me just empty the water. And then, you know, what I did when I got to the wedding and the listers, the, the, the roses, uh, it was just buds that they, you know, they would bloom after you have them for a couple of days, uh, fill out or whatever the, the technical term would be. But uh, that's my story of being in Tyler, Texas. That's where you and I met. Wow. Um, let, yeah. Let me uh, read this uh, for our listeners. I went back to a telephone text that you sent to me and it said, tennis past, present and future. I have gratitude, gratitude for the gifts tennis has given me. Exercise, confidence, commitment, concentration, honesty, courage, competitive spirit, work ethic, friendships, travel, laughter, a career, wife, family, and at the end, the opportunity to give back to others. Um, but yeah, with that, that's fantastic. Uh, tell us about your start in tennis. We go back to the beginning. Uh, I think, like, yeah, boy. Uh, that's I was going back decades now, but, uh, yeah, it's my mother, when I was about 10 years old, she, uh, took some tennis lessons and with some ladies. So this is in Waco, Texas. And she, you know, needed somebody to hit with after the lessons. And so she had dragged me out to the courts and I hit with her a bit there. Just, I'm sure it was ungodly, terrible. I'm, and I know for a fact, nobody videoed it. You know, we didn't need to do any analysis on that, but, uh, she got, ended up getting me some lessons too. So I, I took lessons from a gentleman, Charlie McClary there in, in Waco, who later on, I guess he started the Texas Tennis Hall of Fame. It was at, uh, Sol Ross Tennis Center, which was later on named after him. It was, you know, it's called Charlie McClary Tennis Center. Did you ever go there? You're, you're, I, I went through the Texas there? Tennis Hall of Fame. Yeah, I was there yeah, for a it, tournament, um, yeah. but uh, so, that was a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, yeah. But Charlie, you know, he was, he was my original, you know, I guess, I wouldn't say necessarily coach, but I took lessons with him. And part of that, I actually, I, I got to roll it back a little farther, is I, I had some, I did, took some lessons with a guy who actually played for Baylor. Can't remember his name, but all I know is my arm would just be killing me when I went home. And it just didn't feel right because it, it just didn't, I couldn't even lift a glass of milk to my mouth. And basically I think he was just banging balls with me. And, and I probably went through that for, you know, a few months. And then I think Charlie probably caught, caught an eye of that, you know, I was really into it and all. And then he offered it, give me some lessons. Maybe he probably saved my arm, you know, for sure. So that's kind of how I got with him. So well, but over time, I, I got to playing so much that, you know, I, I out, you know, outlasted my mom and surpassed her. And, and, uh, so had to keep pushing forward. So played pretty much 
all through juniors. But during that time, I was also playing baseball and football. You know, that's kind of keen down there in Texas. And uh, I think when I was 14 about or so is about when I gave up baseball. I was literally sitting sitting in the dugout. And I, I love tennis already. I've been, you know, playing, you know, four years or plus there. And I thought, well, I got three chances to hit the ball once and half the game I'm sitting in here. And it was just like, you know, it's kind of like put me in the game deal as I just, that just didn't feel like the sport for me. And, and I uh, always think of football players. I mean, the interior linemen sometimes, most of the time, a game goes by, perhaps even a season goes by, and they don't get to touch the ball in the odd fumble. But in tennis, especially if you're playing singles, I mean, every time, if you're serving, the ball's in your hands. And hopefully if they don't double fault, now right away the ball's in your, in your hands. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just wasn't much of a bench guy. And then in high school, too, you know, the first two years of high school, you know, I, I, play, I was playing tennis. So the tennis team is Midway High School in Waco. And I was playing football, too. Well, the football, second string, didn't get to play much. And it's kind of the same thing. I just want to play. I, you know, I'm just not much of a bench guy. And so when I gave it up, told my buddies that I was going to just play for tennis, I had, I had to go through a little period of where they kind of made fun of me because those were in the days of the white short shorts. And uh, so, you know, they, they they just couldn't understand why I was going out for tennis and uh, and not staying with the football. But I'm glad I made that choice because later on when I went back to some reunions, you know, a lot of those guys were kind of beat up. And, you know, they asked me what I'm doing. I said, well, I'm doing tennis. And they're, they're just stunned by it. And I said, well, you can still pick it up. And uh, but I, I'm glad I, I took that path. When I first went to Texas, uh, going back to Charlie McCleary, he was an elder statesman, um, and I just I just knew him for that he set up the Texas Tennis Hall of Fame. But what was his yeah. background? Was he a club coach mostly, a high school coach, combination? Uh, a little combination, but you know, it's when it was you know it was the it was the USLTA at that time too. You know, it was it was a days of white tennis balls and wood rackets. And that's, you know, that's kind of the era I grew up playing in. And I do remember that, uh, you know, he he always had a lot of the tennis world or uh, world tennis magazines in his shop. He was really great at, like, it was kind of a hangout then. And he would let me use the ball machine if nobody was around, you know, to hit with. But basically, I was just kind of a, you know, kind of a park rat there. You know, I had my mom drop me off down there at Sol Ross on Saturdays and told her I'd call her, you know, when I'm ready to come home. Sometimes I'd pack a lunch. Sometimes walk down to, I think like there was like a Wiener Schnitzel or something like that and go get a lunch. But basically, I just hung out and would hit with anybody. It didn't really matter. And there was a group of boys that actually all of us used to hit that there, it wasn't really organized at all. I mean, it was just you guys want to play doubles or we'd make up games. And, you know, there, it, I didn't really play in, it wasn't the planned drills like there are today. It was just play. And, you know, I do my lessons and play. And uh, I, it, I'm sorry, Wiener Schnitzel, those, that was the place that just sold hot dogs only, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not the best dietary thing, but somehow I've survived that. Yeah. Well, we, well, <laughs> we all did. I mean, with, uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. I think back in the day with Wonder Bread and Hostess Cupcakes and uh, yeah, just, <laughs> and uh, Velvet, Velvet, Velveeta, Velveeta cheese. Yeah, not letting the players drink water, and if you did drink water, you had to drink it out of a bucket. But I can remember on the campus that we we were on on Tyler, Texas, beautiful campus. Across it, there was a Wiener Schnitzel, if I'm saying that correctly. And when I was there, they someone robbed it. Two guys robbed it. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Give people ideas. Is they robbed it by foot? Yeah. And uh, I just never forget that. That was like, well, really. Oh well. Yeah. It's, I think you know, it's, it's, what a great life I've had because I was thinking about like we had hit against you know I'd hit against the ball against the backboard and the ball machine, but the player I always felt like I was playing. You know, as a kid, you kind of dream up who you're playing is Rod Labor. And, you know, there wasn't that much ten- tennis on television then. It, but when it was just the big events, Wimbledon, U.S. Open. And, you know, I that I thought I'm playing Rod Labor. And then years later, when I'm, let's see, I, I think I was in my 50s, we invited Rod Labor to come to our club. This is in Denver. And, you know, I got a chance to meet him, hit with him, and play against him, with and against him in this kind of exhibition type thing. And I, I'm just I, to this day I'm still stunned that I went from playing him against as a backboard against a, you know meeting him in person. So it was yeah. He, he's pretty much he's a big part of the reason I played tennis too. I just thought he was just cooler than all get out. I mean, it was just yeah. Um, I mean, so. labor uh, young junior, and it's fantastic. I'm telling her to watch these matches of old players. Um, I mean, to watch the uh, Rod Laver an all-court player like that. My Rod Laver, I want to go back to the USLTA, but I have, you know, some, the, the title of the book, something, everything reminds me of something. I was out in El Paso and I did one of these marathon four-day clinics and they actually had, these the people were very nice and they had two coaches. And I just had them feed and film. I filmed everybody in the clinic. But, so, you know, as you know, you're go out and and so I was doing the rest of it on my own you know and there was if there was one there was 60 players so on the way back a little punch drunk I was going I was flying to the US Open and I I didn't change my wristwatch I going from one time zone to the next going back east and I usually would never do this but Rod Laver I walked by and he's sitting you know just waiting for an airplane and I just go Rod Laver and just (laughs) sat down and said uh I mean, I was just seat taken, trying to be a little bit polite with the rocket. And uh, um, anyway, it came down to, I started asking him some questions. He, he's so, so humble. He said, well, I wouldn't be able to play today. And I said, no, you need to go to the ninth back. You ever, I said back then, this is many, many years ago, to the point where I said to you, uh, you go to YouTube. And he said, no, but my, my nephew does. And I said, well, have him take you to YouTube and watch Laver versus Connors, 1975. And yeah. the, um, and I, you know, I, I mean, I just threw it at him and I said, well, there was a reason that Jimbo, uh, I think it was three days before, maybe two, but he, you know, there was certainly altitude in Vegas, but not that high. I mean, I know you've spent a lot of time in the Rocky mountains with high altitude tennis, but it's just fantastic tennis and labor was almost, you know, semi-retired at the time. It was that, it was where Connors beat Rosewall convincingly, 74, the first at Wimbledon at the US Open. And 
I think Bill Reardon, his agent at the time, might have made it up. But he came off the court and Zipoli said, get me Laver. And it's fantastic tennis. But with that, um, you know, I just think about talking to Laver. So, I mean, I, I thought because of having not changed my watch, I go, gee, I'm going to have two hours. But I just had a solid hour. I'd met him many times before that, but just had a solid hour just to talk to him. And um, Yeah, no, like you said, he's very delightful. It was very, Humble. just so easy. But I was, but when I first talked with him when he came to my club, I, I was like, here I am, you know, like I said, 40 years old. And I reverted back to the way I felt about him as a 14-year-old. I was so nervous to talk to him when he walked in. I usually don't get that nervous anymore about stuff like that. But it, it, it you know, I was meeting with a, one of my childhood heroes there. Well, for the, for the yeah, kids listening, he, he wore the mushroom cap and he knew the thermal receptors because uh, he would uh, have a, a wet piece of cabbage or lettuce in his hat to help him remain cool. Obviously, a couple of pieces of lettuce is not very heavy. And, you know, he knew the thermal receptors. He used to uh, wear the wet bandana. Uh, but no, I mean, mm-hmm. just to watch him play, um, his footwork, you know, the ability to go forward. Um, and I actually, our number one mentor, Vic Braden, uh, you know, he had all sorts of Rod Laver stories where, you know, if the rocket was missing, you know, by eight inches, you know, he, he thought he was doing great. Um, he, thought, he always talked about a story. It's in his book on mental tennis where he's playing Cliff Ritchie. And that was back in the CBS, supposedly winner take all. Just like the the Reardon matches were supposedly winner take all, they found out later they weren't. But he cracks the passing shot at four all, and he catches the net tape and goes out. and And Vic was doing the TV, going, "Labor must be devastated." So he went to interview him afterwards, and um, the Rocket said, uh, "No, did you see how I lined that up? I had it. I just I just just missed it by just needed to nudge it a little higher." He never nudged the ball in his life. I mean, he just ripped. Mm-hmm. Every, he just ripped everything. Mm-hmm. But that's a very true story because I, you know, I've heard Dick say that a lot. And it's the funniest thing about how life is is because there I got a chance to meet Labor. I watched him on television. I hear Vic is the commentator. You know, fourteen years old, U.S. Opens on. I rush home. I know the matches are on, and the voices in the background doing the commentary is Vic and I. If, if you had told me when I was 14, 16 years old that later I'd be working with that gentleman, I, I would have said, no, not a chance. I, I, but that's the beauty of life is that you can follow your bliss. And, you know, my bliss has been, you know, tennis and all, and, and it's, it's just really taken me on some pretty cool journeys there. But, yeah, I would have never thought I would have ever worked for Vic. And that's that was my introduction to Vic is just hearing him doing the commentating, you know. But I always loved his commentating too. I, I just distinctly remember it just it seemed like good information even as a kid. So. Oh, I mean, with the, the juniors with Rod Laver and his brothers, they, they didn't call him Rocket because he was from Rockhampton. They called him Rocket with the Aussie humor, sarcasm, because he, hit the, mm-hmm. he, he, couldn't, hit, he couldn't crack an egg. You know, he, when he was really little, he couldn't hit the ball. But they actually, with, wow. with the wheelbarrow and the shovels, they had their own sand court. So it's like he, it's like he really did have a chance to play yeah. on clay, which most Australians, that's, that's just mm-hmm. not the that's not the case uh, even now versus back then. But uh, they, they went from one they went from one ant pile to the next, and they built their own tennis court. 
you know, and nuke. I got to throw nuke in there too. You know, was, uh, that that was another player I always really liked as a kid. I mean, that when, when those days were the days of serving volume. I didn't really have ground strokes, had continental grip, that, so it's kind of worthless. But being that I played baseball, I had a serve, and being that I played second base. You know, I had hands so I could volley, and so I really didn't have ground strokes. So, you know, I, I just try to go to the net. And like, like Charlie used to say to me, that it looks like you want to get on and off the court as quickly as possible. But it's basically just because I didn't, I didn't have anything else. And uh, so Nuke, Nuke was a big hero of mine. And then later on, when he retired, the first I'd go down to his camp there in New Braunfels usually before sectionals that was usually held in San Antonio and the better players would all meet in New Bronzeville for a couple of weeks before sectionals. And that was a deal where you just go down there and play and sweat and feel like you're dying out there. But the, I think the when I was 18 was the year that uh, Nuke retired and he was actually there down there a lot at New Bronzeville. And so, you know, I got, meet him, talk with him too. Another thing that I just never would have thought, you know, when you're a kid watching people on television that you'd see these people in person, get to know them, you know. I used to say about Newcomb's uh, second best logo in tennis, you know, he had the big mustache and yeah, and his logo is like, like one, one eye was winking and he had the big mustache and the the best logo I thought was uh, Mr. Hopman's with all the flags and the kangaroo in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I just, there's a, I think the Aussies and the Texans are kind of kindred spirits. I think there's the same little, little kind of beer-drinking, beer rebellious, kind of just get in there and grind in the dirt type mentality that I think that, I think that's probably why you put that place there. Well, at one time, Texas, uh, maybe it still does, it had the f- four of the largest populated, four of the top ten populated states in the U.S., but uh, it's like 99, 98% rural miles and miles of texas yeah no i always think of clarence mabry with our um Mm -hmm. seven concepts red yellow green comes from the clarence mabry it's called the john it was written by clarence it's a john newcomb family tennis book and i think you know and i'm sure that uh clarence mabry was taught that just like you know someone like a a charlie mccleary um that's what we're trying to do is uh, carry the torch from tennis teachers from the past and like the other day, I was watching Rick Macy. We had Jacob Hansen on a couple of weeks ago, and he worked for Peter Burwash. And I, I saw Rick doing uh, Peter Burwash drills. And the tennis world is so small. Um, with uh, Joy, I don't know her, her, her maiden name, but her, Rick's, uh, I believe it was her first wife, is Joy Macy. She, uh, she worked for PBI. Yeah, so, so many things are just connected with... Um, with Newcomb, uh, the big joke when uh, you know he would be at his camp demonstrating is that he, they, everybody laughed when he said, "I'm going to demonstrate my topspin backhand." He had most of, almost a forehand grip on his topspin backhand. But back in his day, True. back in his yeah. day, three of the four grands around served, and he was known for have, maybe having the best second serve at the time. Did you get to see uh, Nuke demonstrate the backhand? Yeah, actually, I did. I, and it, like I said, those grips. Now I'm more educated now. And then, and uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. He, uh, you and I, the <laughs> listeners, we're both in our sixties. I'm older. I'm the older guy, but 
I can remember watching John McEnroe play the Orange Bowl and thinking, no, you know, he, I'm only a couple years older than McEnroe, so he, he's 18, and I'm a, you know, just studying tennis, and I'm going, no, he doesn't hit his ground strokes big enough, and six months later, he's in the semis of Wimbledon. With, but with uh, the, the nuke, um, you know, I think of, uh, if that's amazing, like if the, the listeners, the juniors, even if you just took 10 minutes, you could watch uh, Jimmy Connors play 75, in against Australia, in Australia against Newcomb, and they're giving Connor the the gears. You know, they thought some calls went his way, and get her fact checker on it. But I'm 100 percent sure, 99, that he Connor's intentionally double faulted twice in the match. That's how confident he was. And he, also that second year, after having an amazing year in '74, won three of the four Grand Slams. wasn't allowed to play the French, but uh, Jimmy was a little overweight too. And towards the end of the 74, um, no, no, 75, I'm sorry, 75, where he wasn't 100% when he lost to Ash. Don't want to take away anything against Arthur Ash, but from, from an injury standpoint. That's getting way out there on a tangent. Let me come back to yeah. USL, yeah. USLTA. Um, we talk, I think we talk in length about Vic. I, I know he had the opportunity to do so many things with him. But I was with Vic when the USDA called him up and asked him if, because Vic had the USTA, the United States Tennis Academy, read it, ran it twice a year for coaches. And mm-hmm. they asked him if he would change the name of his program because they wanted to become the USTA and drop the L. And Vic said, yeah, okay. It, you know, there was no like, okay, maybe I could sell it to you for, you know, for a hundred dollars or something. But, the, uh, but yeah. actually back with Laver, there was a lot of Aussies um, that were in the Newport Beach area. And Rod Laver lived, he lived right down the street and he practiced at the John Wayne Tennis Club. So I know that, uh-huh. you know, Rod Laver and Vic certainly spent a lot of time with each other. You know, I mean, being filmed and just, you know. Yep. No, he's for sure one of my heroes. <laughs> I just, and just class too. I think, you know, those were the era. A lot of those guys had such class. And I think, you know, Go and drinking beers and stuff together afterwards. I mean, they hung out together too. I mean, it's, it wasn't quite quite the same. The Aussies, mother's milk, low to high, yeah. low, low to high, and swallow through. Uh, I mean, there, there's a story. I you know, I had a chance to get to know Roy Emerson way back when because he was coaching at the, at the Jack Kramer Club right down the street from from Vic's place, and. I think, I don't know, I'm going to guess 1966, he played in the Wimbledon final. He never went to bed. You know, they stayed out. Of course, they were, they were, they were playing for a gift certificate. There's times have times changed. Yeah. 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 Good. Let's talk a little bit more about yeah. baseball. Yeah. Um, we've got a grandfather who's going to join us this summer at Wintergreen. We'll talk about, oh, I'm going to join you at Wintergreen. But I was on, yeah. the, on the court the I'm other day. with his, On the court with his, uh, yeah, likewise, on the court with his seven-year-old grandson, and he's coming along, and I was showing the the dad, so it would have been the grandfather's, get this right, son-in-law, they were playing tennis baseball. You know, you catch the ball and you throw it back. And, and you know, like two little seven-year-olds are much better off to one be the human ball machine and just catch it. And I was explaining the drill to the father, and, and he just said, yeah, you just got to, because the kid was letting the ball bounce and it's going over his head. And I said, no, you got to go in, it's got to be bounce, catch, bounce, catch. And the, the dad goes, yeah, you just need to short hop it. 
But that talk a little about baseball for a second. That that's gone away because we used to be able to use baseball, um, you know, terminologies, analogies to teach tennis. Um, what comes back to your mind as far as baseball kids not playing it today, and you know what you could learn from baseball to be a better tennis player? Uh, like I think not, number one is just being outside. <laughs> just being outside I said growing up as a kid everything was outside I, I, I didn't do things inside really everything was outside and you know throwing and and catching all of those motions I mean that that's why I said it translates so easy to tennis and I, I've always felt like when I run across kids that are you know baseball players they're starting to play tennis that's a pretty easy transition to make you know they've got the hand skills and you know especially playing infield you get really quick hands and uh, like i said the short hop or taking a ball on the rise all, all those skill sets are super super important and i i like i do like the idea of you know crossover sports instead of just totally totally specializing i mean i, I think I said there was a point where I kind of did make that transition, but my whole upbringing, I did all kinds of sports and different things. And it just, like I said, it's, it's good. That's, I think that makes you a better athlete, complete athlete. Yeah. Just playing catch. I, I, I can remember, um, I'm going to, uh, work. I wanted to watch Ronnie Meyer teach tennis. And I mentioned him before on our podcast, he was a go between where Nick Volatieri and Harry Hobbin, they worked at the same, same facility. One with Mr. Hobbins in charge of the juniors and Nick in charge of the adults. But the the, the gentleman running was just great. He got the tennis crew to play softball against the uh, the, ki- the kitchen crew and the tennis crew. They had a softball game. With my mother used to say, I love how you said playing outside. My mother, we'd go through a neighborhood and she'd say, the kids must be inside playing with a butler. And that was a long, long time ago. Um, but even but now it's just I mean you just that's one great thing about Canada is that the Canadians are still outside playing street hockey. Um, work with a lot of uh, Indian tennis players here in the U.S. You know, there's so many mm-hmm. uh, Indian families are here that have the academic credentials to come over and work in the as an IT. And one of the dads, you know, he said, "Well, my kid's a house cat and he's become a street cat." And you know, oh it, it, it is, it's an interesting way things remind you of. Uh, my son, yeah. Connor, played um, a lot of doubles with Peter Cobelt. And I remember doing some video with Peter. And so anyway, long story short, I end, I end up in Cobelt's home and it's uh, right outside of Columbus. He gets a place called New Albany. And he has, they had the fattest cats in the house. I mean, you just like stop and look at them and it's like, it's like each cat looked like they were 25 pounds overweight. And, uh, but you know, that, that's another thing that's gone away is that the term fat cat, you know, it's, ah, he's a fat cat. And yeah. with, um, no, it, it's, it's amazing where the coming back to the playing tennis baseball is, you know, kids, uh, they can learn strategy, learn, you know, defense. It's mostly all baseline to baseline. We tell kids, no, don't throw the ball behind your back and don't throw it underhand. Just, like you're out in center field and you're throwing it up over home plate and it's, it's a, they have a lot of fun with it, but the kid who's catching the ball. Um, and also too, as we, we add variables to the kids catching the ball, you know, he's got to time the ball so it doesn't get over his head, as I said, and be able to throw it. 
But I think also, too, the little kids serving, you say serve from anywhere. Once you catch, once, once the ball, once the point's over, just serve from anywhere and aim anywhere. It's too bad that yeah. little, little seven-year-old kids, when they play a game of tennis, that they have to serve in the box. And that's, I, I that's, totally agree. That's where, you know, there's so many people who love the game and administrators, but if someone hasn't been a trench pro and they're out there really working with little kids, like, you know, a lot of college coaches, my advice to college coaches over the years is whatever you do is just don't stop teaching beginners. Always teach beginners because it's, it's a skill set. And if you don't do it, you don't do it. And, but no, that's where the kids go palm up. And back in the day, it wasn't fair for girls, but it, most, most boys, uh, like myself, I could catch and throw. I, I, I couldn't hit because one, we never practiced. Uh, but it was a, the kid who could hit would be the one who's the, the dad would get out there and just throw him ball after ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you said, pre- I, I, pretty tough thing to do, hit a baseball. Yeah, I think about you like your backboard. I mean, like in baseball, I, I actually, you know, we had that little netting thing with the springs on it. You know, where you know, practice pitching against that. I mean, that, it's. It's the similarities in sports are they're all over there. But I think for kids, you know, I I don't even remember where kids would be like the, my kind of the, my contemporaries is you know when I was in my preteens that we would dodge playing each other. We always wanted to play, and it's the game of playing. And you know, we didn't get upset, win or lose. We just hey, let's play. You know, and that we'd come off the court everything's good it wasn't it didn't have that epic of you know where you're upset and pissed off and crying about stuff or you know frustrated we just play another one if you get be lost well hey let's challenge again i'll, I'll play you again and that's, no, and that's that's you know the you know the language as you know of junior tennis which wasn't too long ago you go to a tournament and, well i'm playing a five star i had a really tough draw i had to start with a four star and exactly. and, and, and now it's, it's all utr and, but for the parents listening try to de-emphasize score you know the five s's self self-management strokes um, strategy, stats, and there's numbers for all of them. And the last one is score. And most people forget one through four. And, you, you know, we play a lot of pickup soccer, pickup basketball, a game we call lightning ball. Actually, who Hubert Crash learned from David Schneider, who's a coach at Texas. And it's, it's just ultimate frisbee with a tennis ball. So you, you play these different games and, you know, they say, okay, then we're going to go to lunch. And, yeah, say it was a basketball game. Kids have they don't remember even who's on their team who won. You know, they certainly they argue perhaps or definitely when they're playing. Say you have uh, a dozen kids and they play six on six basketball, um, six on six soccer. But if they're playing sets, you take them to lunch. When they get back, they know the score of every every match or, or every set. You know who won, mm-hmm. what the score. And that's unfortunate. It, is, it, all, it all, you know, when it comes to junior tennis, you know, the competitive side, it, it is about winning in the end. But we like to say winning's not confusing; it's totally confusing. Let me, yeah. let me I, uh, I, go, I, ahead. I, go ahead, go ahead. Throw yeah, I had, I had one other thing. Is that I had a, a guy I used to, I hit with my high school. My my, I played one singles my freshman year. All through high school, I played number one. But there was a fellow, and his name was Bob Servinka. And he went and played for Baylor. So when he was a freshman at Baylor, 
I was a freshman in my high school. And all four years through high school and his four years of college, we would play pretty often on Friday nights. We would play, he would, he was such a mentor to me too, that we would play a match on Friday night. And I had girlfriends that would want to go out and no, I got to play Bob first. So when we first used to play, he would just destroy me. You know, it'd be love and love. And, and like I said, couldn't, couldn't get enough pain. I'd say, let's play one more and he'd still beat me, you know, but by the time I was a senior in high school and he was a senior at Baylor, there's occasionally I could take him in a match. Most of the time it was real competitive. And, you know, my hats have always been off to, to that guy for, you know, taking taking me under his wing a bit to, you know, whoop up on me. But it also gave me a good sense of competing. But also I, I kind of learned how to lose, too, you know. No, it's, I, it's a, I, I lost a lot. That's you know? that's a great story. I think with, uh, you know, kids get programmed out. They just, you know, they don't play sets. They don't call people up. You know, they're not – it's not the youth versus veteran match where a kid calls up an adult and – there's not enough tennis played. I, I remember practicing with a baseball player. It was a lefty, and you know, he it was just great to play him because it was tough. He, was, he had a tough serve. Was, he's, you know, you want to want to have that serve come and do me a different way. And um, yeah, baseball. Yeah. It's, it's it it was at one point you know number one in the states. I think it's, it's certainly you know I would say football is probably the most popular sport, but. Um, let, let's move ahead here with you were at Austin, the University of Texas. When I met you, you, you were already in the working world. I mean, I know you have skills in, as a, yeah. in graphic design, photography, video production. Maybe back then it wasn't quite video production at that time. But um, I remember meeting you and tell us a little bit about that story. So you were in Tyler and then you said, hey, I love tennis. And you came over and took some classes at our program yeah. called tennis yeah. tech 82 84 yeah. i think yeah yeah right in that time span and like i said out of out of juniors there was when i was 19 i actually uh, had stress factors so, so bad in my ankles that they told me that my ankle could probably snap and uh and i think this is my message to a lot of people buy good shoes don't wear bad shoes your shoes wear out, get new shoes because I think I tried to extend the shoe life of my shoes. And you probably remember shoe goo and all those kind of things, Steve. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I got to say, I, I think I wore through the soles of my shoes so much, but it also affected my ankles. And so there was a point where I just, I, it freaked me out so bad. I just like, I've just got to not play, you know, as much. And so when I went to college, I actually quit playing it wasn't because of burnout or anything i was just kind of fearful of something like that you know snapping an ankle so yep studied uh, graphic design and art one summer i got a job in uh, a summer job kind of summer intern job it started off at uh, a uh, chain of grocery stores there in tyler called uh, brookshire's brookshire's brad and, brookshire i tell you a story about yeah. that. yeah Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so worked there and got to thinking I might want to try to play tennis again. You know, it had been see, like three, four years since I'd really played competitively. And so I felt like, well, maybe I'd start hitting and maybe I'd think about playing again. 
So somehow somebody told me about this, you know, this thing called tennis tech. And they said, well, the kind of cool thing about it is they said they, they feed balls like a couple of nights a week. They do these drills and these guys will feed balls and it's free. And I, and I wasn't looking for information and I just felt like, well, it's a good opportunity to just have somebody feed balls. I really didn't know, you know, too many people to play with at that point because I, I was pretty new to Tyler. And uh, that's kind of how I got over there. Well, it was, and, uh, uh, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't too far away from the junior college that there was a barber college and you could go and it didn't cost very much to get your hair cut. At Tyler junior college, they had a program for dental hygienists. And actually that's uh, Eugene Scott. He was the president of the board of trustees. And uh, I was knocking balls around with him and he knew my background. And by the time I was 26, I had been trained by Braden Vandermeer and Van Horn. And he's the one who put all that together. You know, like how did that happen? Um, but Brookshire's Brad Brookshire was a tennis player. I think many members of the family played tennis. You, you probably would know better than yeah, me. they did. Yeah, but um, I was out at Dave Anderson's place with a group of like twenty five kids from South Africa, and we were given a tour of the new SMU tennis facility, which is amazing. But I understand that uh, the Brookshire family, the success they've had with the grocery business, that they had a lot to do, or maybe, maybe, maybe the whole enchilada that they, as far as building that complex. But what comes to mind with Brad Brookshire, I mean, I think he was four or five. There's a group of men in Tyler, Texas, and um, we, Tyler's name comes up anytime we talk about tennis tech because he was there for so long and, and helped so much. And Craig Tiley, our listeners know that he obviously is known for being the director of Tennis Australia. So we took a group of men and Tyler, you know, he certainly was like, like the kids I was teaching, trying to replicate the skill set that I had, but he, he certainly ended up having his own skill set because he got a, a master's in uh, kinesiology. And what we did with that group of uh, Brad Brookshire's teammates, they were getting ready to go to, I think, I think it was four or five nationals. It might've been four O nationals. And they wanted us, yeah. they wanted us to work with them. And I remember Tylee, I bought the equipment and we did body fat and we, these guys were trained with us and they all got really fit and they were dropping the pounds. And but when they went to nationals, three of them got booted off the court for not being like their sandbaggers, you know, that, um, the term in golf where you, you lie your hand yeah, yeah. handicap. So they, I guess they either look like five O's and a four five tournament, or they look like four fives and four O tournament, but that comes to my mind with, uh, but yeah, no, I remember you, yeah. you making, uh, you know, we used to have these banners. So we would have a, we had a, nine months for the school year and we would have nine speakers. You know, well, one was a PTR with Dennis Vandermeer every year. Then it was a USPTA. But I remember yeah. you uh, making one of those signs, you know, like welcome Peter. Yeah, I think I did. Uh, yeah, like, I did John Verde. I think I did one for Vandermeer. Yeah, Peter Burwash. I think I did one for... I did one for Vic, but yeah, as that went on, you know, I started kind of, you know, paying attention a little bit and I ended up joining a club. I joined over at Timber Creek, uh, Timber Creek and over at uh, Tennis and Swim with Seema and Nicola over there. Yeah, and, he was a great uh, guy, Seema. Uh, I guess I keep interrupting yeah. you, but Seema, his brother <laughs> was way up with the ITF. I mean, he was the president of the ITF, but I, I, I used to watch everybody teach tennis. Yeah. Um, he was Yugoslavian. 
Yeah, yeah. With um, he was a great guy. Davis, I think he played Davis Cup for yeah. Yugoslavia. But, but I, I know I, I do a drill. I I call it. You know, can you? I tell kids, can you flip a pancake? But you stand to the side of the court, <laughs> and you you feed the ball. You feed you feed an overhead off the bounce. I mean, kids need to learn to be able to do that self-fed overhead. But I remember Seema used to do it where he would. He'd, hit, he'd swing across the bottom of the ball, so then when the ball would bounce, it would go forward. And you just mm-hmm. you think you know you got to watch people pick up all these little ideas. So the ball would hit the court, and of course you got to be able to do it the opposite way for a lefty. But if you're a righty, do a righty. You know it's very easy to just take your hand underneath. You know you slide it, and when the ball you're hitting side spin, so when the ball bounces, it kicks forward. But anyway, that's a plug for the late Seaman exactly. Nikolic. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's kind of how it's a, a little bit of teaching because Seema, you know, I would, I'd be out there hitting. I, another one of those guys on that team was Dan Tony because I, I, I used to hit with him a bit. And it got to where Seema would watch me hit and say some things, and so he needs somebody to feed balls. And, you know, I'd feed balls for him, and then it started learning more about the tennis tech because I'd still go over there occasionally and kind of, I have to tell you, Steve, I, I, I kind of call myself a poacher. I kind, I kind of poached what you guys did, and, and uh, it started making a lot more sense. And that's where I kind of ended up, kind of thought, well, you know, this, I might actually I started thinking about at least doing tennis part-time, teaching it, and with the possibility, well, maybe I could just flip careers instead of working in graphic design and art is maybe I could freelance that and do, you know, tennis full time. I, I missed. And, I missed. Uh, why would you call yourself a poacher? You mean stealing ideas? Well, mean because, research. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I uh, like some of the classes I did. I did a lot of those classes, you know, kind of non credit, you know, and basically I was just getting information. You know, I just want the information. I, I don't. I'd already gone to college, got the degree. And I didn't really care about the degree part. I no, just, no, I, I, you know, I just want content. Yeah, quite I just a, want content. Yeah, I used to recommend. Used to, the term was they you could audit. You just pay for the class, and and the yeah. beauty the beauty of that is you didn't have to uh, take the test or write the term papers and all that. But uh, well, uh, audit sounds like IRS. I, I think I like coaching <laughs> <posting> better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree, agree with yeah. that. The, uh, yeah, but Dan uh, Tony. So, Dan Tony, I I was I got married in Ireland. Dan Tony and his wife Linda that came to my wedding. But here's a Dan Tony story. The guy absolutely loved tennis, ears, yeah. nose, and throat. Um, I told someone the other day is that I was talking to a physician, and it just this came up and that came up, and and he was this, this it was a father of a visiting player, but it wasn't you know he wasn't a physician, but uh, or, excuse me he wasn't he he was not a ears, nose, and throat. And but you're never supposed to put anything. Uh, how's it go? Anything smaller than your elbow in your ear. You don't want to use Q-tips. But that's something. Mm-hmm. That's something for our listeners from D'Antoni. But um, I I bought this apparatus and it should still have it. But I remember D'Antoni. He came to every um, every, every you know weekend guest or you know like a Jim Lair would come in every other year. And mm-hmm. and I remember Doctor Lair, uh, you know, asking me for a volunteer. And or, you know, I guess I. Was was it involved here? I get, told me to pick somebody from the audience. And, hey, Tony, get down here. And you know, Tony had to go to the men's room, take his shirt off, and um, and had to put on, you know, it was basically a heart rate monitor. 
and then and oh, yeah. then lay her hand on his wristwatch. You know, he's into lecture and lecture, and he just out of the blue said, and now we'll have Dan Tony come down. Come on down, Dan. And, you know, he's caught him by surprise. You know, he's obviously an hour into it, he's really into the lecture, and Tony is Jenkins 115. You know, he has to come down, you know, from the, you know, like wherever he was sitting, so he comes down a flight of stairs in the uh, lecture class, auditorium style, and, and uh, then Lair goes into how much his heart rate jumped up. And we, we used to have players play with that. It's just amazing um, how nervous kids get. But uh, that's something that, uh, that's gone away. I mean, we, we, we should go back. And I would think now, um, I'm sure um, you know, people can do that with uh, the wristwatch. But yeah, Dan Tony. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Well, and uh, you know, I actually, I actually even poached um, some of your uh, students for uh, roommates because, you know, at that time I was single guy and I had an apartment, a two bedroom apartment. And I thought I could save some money by kind of subletting part of my apartment. And that's why I kind of met Philip Lowley and Daryl Northcott and uh, some of those guys. I, I really enjoyed those guys too, because they were so into it. And, uh, you know, we just, that's all like Philip in particular, that's all you talk, what you talk about is Kenneth and, you know, we went out and started working on strokes. I got away from that continental grip as best I could, you know, out hitting with him. And uh, no, I, I owe quite a bit of court you know, time to Phil, Philip and Daryl. When, both I, of those when I first started, you know, I was at the Vic Braden Tennis College and went to Tyler, Texas. I didn't have a car. I'm walking across campus carrying my groceries. I got students who have cars. There were, as you know, back when we first started, there weren't that many students. Um, with, but to write a sitcom, there was one time six students, Mike Rogers, I hear from all the time. There was Rennie Troxer, Tom Catone, I have to come up with these names. Bob Wiley, he would have been the star. It would have been better than a TV show like Welcome Back, Cotter. I mean, these guys, and that I, when I first started, you know, the, I was told the attendance policy, you can, they recommended, they, the administrators, if you're absent six times, you get dropped from the class. If if you're tardy twice, it's equal to one one absence. So I didn't. I came from California, and you know, not perhaps you know, I didn't know the difference between being a liberal or a conservative at that time. But I say, ah, no, I'm not going to take attendance. I didn't start taking attendance until Vandermeer shows up, and people are sleeping in. You know, at that time, I was thinking my ego wasn't too big. It's like I can see where they're not coming to listen to me, but we got Vandermeer here. And I had, yeah, this, yeah. but I, I bought a little pickup truck. First one was brown, and the kids called it the toilet. I shouldn't say kids, I was a kid too. But, so then the ne- I brought a brand new white little pickup, and they called that toilet too. But I can remember leaving the courts, and I go, I'll be right back. And, you know, I would drive a few blocks, a small city like that, Tyler, Texas. And I would go, there were six guys in one house. And, you know, they, all six of them, maybe had a few beers, too, much, too many beers the night before. It's really interesting to think back that 81, 91 to work with all these college kids. But it, was, it, it could have been a sitcom. They had a tennis tree, and every time they had a tree in the front, the front of the place they rented, and every time they wore out a pair of shoes, and they had this place for two years, they would tie the, the beat-up throwaway shoes to the tree. And you just drive up. Oh, yeah. it, it, it was just so... Uh, but that that would have been a, a sitcom. Uh, of course, then I was 
Um, you know, there, there was in that program, there was kids between the ages of 18 and 23 that really couldn't tell you what they did for, um, you know, they kind of bounced around from this curriculum or this degree plan. And, and then they saw, you know, they thought that we were underwater basket weaving. So if, what I did is I, I'm going to make this program so, so tough because the perception was it was going to be so easy. But, yeah. But part, let's go. Yeah, with, that, go ahead. That's, that's where you know, I could go with the, the Vic thing, though, is just that. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd spoken about him earlier, watched him on television and all. Well, that's where I met Vic. You know, you, you had him come. I, I I know I went like probably two times to it. I, I actually collect ticket stubs. I think I still have the stubs from you. You'd actually put, you know, print tickets out for it. Yeah, you so, showed that and, to me. I was uh, so impressed with that. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and that's where I first met Vic. And I already had his book, you know, because, like I said, watch him on television and stuff. But that that was kind of like the whole Rod Labor thing. I was like, man, I can't believe the guy, I, I would hear his voice on television. Occasionally, you'd see little shots of him. But, you know, and you got pictures of him in a book, and there he is. And same thing with Vandermeer was really great you know i did that whole thing with him i took the tennis university the the ptr test his wife gave me the test and uh pat and pat Vandermeer, yeah yeah you had to and she pulled a quick one on me where i had to demo the serve left-handed which at that time <laughs> it pretty well freaked me out how to can i serve left-handed and you know i got through that but uh yeah that I, I really hats off and thank you for bringing those people to that small little town. I mean, these unbelievable names of tennis and you, you got them there, you know, with, uh, well, and, uh, more than welcome with, with uncle Vic. Um, it certainly wasn't you then because there was a banner made and it said, I remember it said, welcome Dick Braid. And I go, no, oh, no, that no, wasn't no. me. That wasn't you. No, that so would not be me. That wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been you. But, uh, but for our listeners, uh, I used to tease and we used to call tennis tech resume tech because we would help students with a resume. Now you, and we're going to talk a little bit about your better half, um, the, the virtual resumes you have. And I know that ties in with your background, not only as the graphic designer, but we're, um, Vic tells people to document everything. Um, tell us a little bit. Then in 94, um, you had one of the first uh, tennis websites, but why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you know that the, no, yeah, just, the, the, just how, a, how a virtual the resume and docu- documenting yeah. photos it's, it's amazing it's just you look at it and it's like so much history to what you and your wife have both done in tennis yeah well I, I think probably it's because I'm a bit of a hoarder I think <laughs> I think that uh, like going back to the Beatle posters and all again it's just that there's certain points in your life that you, you kind of preserve in some way you know and I mean, there's people who write, being that I'm a graphic guy, you know, visuals are really key to me. I'm kind of, you know, we go into learning style, but I'm a visual learner for sure. And uh, which is, there's pluses and minuses to that. But uh, I kind of documented pretty much everything through my life, all these little stories and these little pieces of things. You know, I do have a photograph here and there. And, you know, it's it's kind of a great memory book that uh, on a career path, it's been a kind of a nice thing that a lot of the positions I've applied for is to be able to actually give them something visual instead of just something written. Um, 
you know, working with Vic, how I, how that came about was, uh, and like I said, I, I owe, you're one of my, one of my mentors and I, I owe a lot to you because you and Vic are the ones that have really, you know, you made my career and, uh, Vic in particular, how I came to work for him is that, you know, out of Tyler, tennis, tennis tech and all my, my first job was when I decided to flip careers, I actually went to Marshall, Texas, and there's like a little place called Cypress Valley. And it had like, I think like eight courts and ran a little thing there. And then saw an opportunity to move to Colorado and I moved to Denver, Colorado and was teaching at a club. There's clubs called, it was called racket world at the time. Now it's called athletic club Monaco, but I uh, spent about three years teaching. And then I had a, a men's four five team. It was uh, that I was coaching and that team actually, I got them to go to the nationals, but there was one player on the team was a guy named Troy Davis. And there was another guy named Chip Clark. Chip Clark, his father-in-law was Dennis Ralston. Troy Davis, his stepdad was Nick Braden. Yeah, so no Troy. Troy, so Troy would see me teaching lessons. He'd, you know, we'd be on the court. I would run drills with him. And at one point, this is pretty quick on, he said, well, where did you learn all this? And I said, well, you know, Big Braden, you know, got his book. I said, and tennis tech, you know. And uh, so Troy didn't really tell me for quite some time, you know, who his, who his stepdad was. And one day, just out of the blue, he says, uh, you know, my stepdad's Big Braden. And I go, no way. <laughs> That's like that. Never, I just, never heard this story. I, I, I was just, I was stunned at that, you know. And so he, uh, he said, uh, he said, yeah, he says, I'm thinking about moving back to, to California. And he said, would you ever want to come out and work out there with us? And he said, he said, I really like your teaching. He says, just what we do. And, and so we had a pretty long talk about it. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd consider it. So Troy moved back to, uh, back to Cota de Casa, you know, out from Denver and he was going to, kind of being put in charge of, of running the tennis college. So uh, he had been out there for probably six months and I was, you know, I hadn't heard from him that much. I didn't really pursue it. I just kind of thought, you know, it might've been one of those things that I mean, it was just kind of blowing air at me type thing. And so uh, I got a call one day, my front desk came down and it's pretty busy tennis club, but I was, I was out on the court in the middle of the lesson and the front desk came down and they said, yeah, Steve, you got a call from a, a Mr. Uh, Vic Braden. And uh, and I told the lesson, I said, I hate to do this. I would never do this. But can I go take that call? And so I left the court, went up and uh, got on the phone. And the first thing is, is you know, here, here's his jovial voice. He goes, hey, Steve, this is Vic, Vic Braden. And I said, hi, you know, and. He said, Troy's told me a lot about you. And he said, would you be interested in coming out to California and uh, helping me with my graphic stuff? Because he had a video edit bay at the time. And it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty elaborate, but he, 
He said, would you want to come out here and be my graphic designer and be my head pro at the tennis college? And I literally, it was this fast. I said, yes, when? That's funny. And there, and there wasn't a discussion of money or anything like that. I was just, that's the guy I wanted to be with, you know, and he reached out, you know, kind of to me and I, I didn't really apply or anything, but, but I, my hat goes off to Troy for, you know, having a belief in me too. And, uh, you know, when we were good friends and, but also just kind of like, like something about me and he thought it'd be a good fit. So, um, so I asked Vic, I said, well, when do you want, when do you want me out there? And he said, well, how's next month? I go, I'll be there. And that's literally how fast that happened. And so when I got, got out to Kodo, you know, Vic, unbelievable guy. We never talked about money. I didn't say what's my percentage. He didn't say this is what you'll make or anything. I, I didn't care. Personally, I didn't care. And uh, Vic had already paid my first three months rent of a house that's there on the golf course and uh, had me all set up. And so, you know, when I went out there, I actually taught most of the privates. I, w- I wasn't one of the, the coaches doing it, but I did all the privates, worked the junior group and ran some of the program for the, the, the country club there. So back out there, they said, well, do you know any other pros that we we're, we're, we need another pro? And that's where I said, well, yeah, I, I got somebody in mind. And I said, Philip Lowy, you know, my little practice partner, um, Tyler, you know, who I hadn't seen in a while either. But he, Philip by that time was back in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I called Philip and I said, Philip, you want to come out here with, work with Vic? And it was like, like me too. He goes, sure, I'll be there. And, I, and that's how we all uh, got together. Yeah. You know, one time Vic had, uh even in Marbella, Spain, but he had a place in Switzerland. He had, I could just go through Ankum, Goslar, Reitenwinkel. He had a number of schools in Germany. And I, I think I'm going to guess it was 84, but after 84, every head coach he trained, every, every head coach he hired, I had trained with the exception of Luke Wickham, who uh, came into Orlando. And then he ended up spending a ton of time with us. Um, there's a uh, there's a fun story where Vic shows up at a place and he's doing a traveling clinic and you know so he's meeting with the coaches and he's gonna you know they're gonna help him run a traveling tennis college and he's he's a one man band he shows up by himself but I did so many things where I traveled to Vic but he that time he was you know f- flying solo and and he asked and you know he goes is anybody here read any of my books and. And, you know, people, you know, yeah, I have looked at your books. I say, you know, you know, have you read any of my books? You know, open it, page one, page two. And it was Nick DeVoe. And um, he, he was also from Colorado. He went to tennis tech. And he said, well, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I, I went to tennis tech. And he said, okay, you'll be my head coach. And he had, he, I guess the story goes, he had only been on staff for a few weeks. So he shows up and, you know, the head coach is there and the, the, the leaders of the, you know, quite a large staff. And, uh, Vic said, okay, I'll run the classroom and you run the courts. And he goes, well, this is what we'll do. And, you know, that because he just knew that you guys would know the peel-off drill and the circle drill and, and you know, the, yeah. the you guys, you just would. Because what we, what we did is we lived Vic Braden. We had a lab for our listeners and, and other teachers as well. I mean, people hear it over and over again that Braden was the Christmas tree and um, everyone else was an ornament. Um, I wanted to ask you um, 
you know, while we're on Braden about Andy Fitzell, how old he was when you met him. Uh, I talked to Dave Secker today. Uh, he said, I heard the, he, he was at a pro tournament with Andy in Mexico and, and uh, Dave's uh, one of the coaches at NC State, the women on the, the women's team. And, you know, he started telling you that he heard the funniest thing about hitting the ball flat. And, and he said, well, if it's at sea level and you hit 212 miles an hour, you have to have hair on your tongue and live in a tree. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but so, as he started saying that, I, I mean, if people like yourself worked with Vic, you can finish the sentences. I mean, I do. Yeah. I know there's a lot of people embellish their backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, I would, you know, I it's like, it's like for years and years here in Florida, uh-huh. I can't tell you how many people have, have told me they work for Harry Hammond and they didn't work for Harry Hammond. Uh, but, uh, yeah, how, how, uh, Andy started our podcast. Andy, Andy, Andy was Andy was fourteen years old. So what it was is um, he? I, I kind of remember that his, he came out there with his mother to the college, and they were looking at doing some lessons, and so. I think money was a little bit of an issue. And so at that time, you know, I could tell he was into it. And so I did a few lessons with him and we were Vic and I was telling him, I said, well, this Andy kid, you know, he really, he's really into it. And he, you know, he's, you know, we, we should help him along. And so we came up with the idea let's, let's have him kind of work around those cut over there. He can pick up balls. We can teach him how to string, and that's kind of how that little piece got going. But uh, you know, Andy, what? It's, when I said this at the beginning, there's all the friendships I've met. You know, here I, I talk about you know Philip. I meet him at t- Tyler. Then we go out of contact with each other. But then he's the first one I think about coming to California. He goes out there. Andy is a 14 year old ends up, you know, coming out there. I ended up leaving. Then, I don't know, 20 plus years later, Andy and I worked together in Hawaii. You know, I, and, uh, you know, I reached out to him and, and he ended up becoming, you know, pretty much Vic's right-hand man. Uh, yeah, I always say know. other than wife, Vic's uh, widow, Melody, in the last 10 years, no one spent more time with Vic Braden than, than Andy. That's for sure. That's with, for uh, sure. And coming back to you know, Vic, Dave, uh, we, we, go ahead. Yeah, I got one other little deal with Vic, and this is something I think it just was absolutely invaluable to my tennis knowledge, is that being a, a graphic designer and him, his interest in me being working in his video edit day is that, you know, I teach tennis during the day, and then at night, that's when Vic kind of started working on his research and his video and so he had this literally edit day is probably million million dollars plus of video equipment and all. And, you know, so it was kind of like his little kind of man cave, I'd say. So he would go in there and work, work on videotapes and he had a, an editor there, but I would be in there too, working on the little video workstation there where you do the layout topography and do some animation. And so, it was great because and distinctly remember looking at, he had shot a lot of footage of Stephen Edwards and he would be commenting on it as he's going just to himself. And then and he'd lean over to Steve, you look at this. And it was just, I was just hanging out with him, you know, here I am poaching again, you know, and it is so great to sit in there and just watch him work through the way he was going to present something. And on Wednesday night, 
that's the one night that we wouldn't be in the edit bay is that they, he'd do a free clinics for the membership, you know, and that's big giving back. And it was just uncanny to me that, you know, people come to the college, the tennis college there and they're paying all day, but Vic gives back to the community by doing these free clinics every Wednesday night. And so, and I'd help him with those. He'd say, well, you know, he said, Steve, what, what did we do last week? I said, well, Vic, I think we did volleys. He said, well, why, why don't we do, uh, backhands tonight or balkans i should say and uh, i said yeah that's great you know but that that was i always thought that was something really really nice about him and then it was the clinic was supposed to last an hour and, and we're there an hour and a half and even two hours and the the ones that are still left around you know we'd be down to maybe five players he would invite them over to his house uh, afterwards so it's yeah great guy man well, let me, let, me, yes, let me throw three things in there with uh, for our tennis teaching pros who listen to this. Uh, it, it's great if you could give a free clinic. And, you know, certainly people say, well, there's no such thing as a free clinic because you're using it as a promotional tool. But what we did that years later, I mean, I would like to think that we're, you know, still giving a free clinic because we do all this free content. Um, you know, courses online and Instagram posts and Facebook and this and that. Um, but we started uh, calling our free clinic the Dollar Clinic, and we actually got more people to come out just because it had a catch to it. it, it people started talking about it more. The Dollar Clinic it just cost a dollar. But let me say this about going back to Dave Secker. He told me, you know, he obviously thinks the world of Andy Fissell, and he said that with Vic's book that came out that you mentioned in 77, there's been others. And I know Tennis for the Future was updated as, as Tennis 2000. And people, the listeners, they mm-hmm. can, it's, it's, you can still find copies. But Dave Secker was saying they just need to change the title, Past, Present, and Future. And uses, yeah. not change anything but the photos. With your background as a graphic designer, what we need to do, Mike McLaughlin, um, and I, I should have done this. I'm a total amateur. I mean, talking to Andy Fitzell and his beautiful wife, Leo, he started the podcast. I mean, I'm... I was kind of the talking head because of our pillars. I'm the one who uh, spent so much time, or Andy didn't directly spend time with our other seven pillars, but but Andy Fitzell is a, a Vic Brain outlier. Not only, uh, let me say that Mike McLaughlin and Mike Valentine, they're going to, and I should have said this in the beginning of the podcast, that you're the director of this beautiful resort, Wintergreen, in Wintergreen, Virginia. But they're they're coming to visit, and we, you know, a few years ago, I met with the, the CEO of the USPTA, and I met with people at Lake Nona, the USTA people, and um, said, hey, we should have an annual Vic Braden clinic. And uh, it, it's just amazing. You know, he was so misinterpreted. Um, and you know, I know the Tennis Channel, um, you know, certainly has the film portion of his library. But, uh, you know, McLaughlin, who was on as a guest on our podcast, and again, uh, you don't look like you're in the, your 60s, but you're in your 60s. And there's, there's, it's like Jimmy Connors said about Elvis Presley, there's only a few of us left. There's only a few people, or a very small group of people. I mean, I know there's people that really study the books and study the tapes, but I think there's only a, there's not that large group of people who are really, um, you know, they just had spent so much time with Vic. And uh, it just, there just should be something to, uh, to carry the torch. We're trying to do that. I know um, Paul McDonald, uh, he, he thinks that, and this is patting myself on the back, but he's the one who says it, that uh, 
no one really else is doing it like we're doing it with the Great Base as far as uh, getting Vic Braden information out. I, you know, I know you had uh, Gideon, and uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 man, I tell you that he's the nuts and bolts of a lot of that, and that's uh, you know, I, I, I just I don't know of anything any better bit of information, sports science wise, about tennis than what came from. Uh, you know, Vic and Gideon. I uh, just, I just, you know, I, I like, I like being able to quantify things, and they, they certainly did it. And you know, I, I just, like I said, I just use their information, but I, I 100% believe it, and it's, you know, it, there's proof in it. So uh, well, it's just, I think what you said about you weren't interested in what you're going to be paid. Uh, I know when I work for Vic. Well, I mean, I took this job at Tyler Junior College and Dean Mentor, he said, well, do you want to know what you're going to be paid? I go, oh, yeah, yeah, tell me. And I wasn't interested. I just was like, this is the job I want. And yeah. even when I was there, I mean, there was a gentleman who built, uh, it was it's called Holly Tree, he built a country club. And I felt like I was talking to someone who was from the TV show Dallas and he's an oil tycoon. And he goes, you're going to come work for me. And he, you know, it's public domain. He goes, I know what you make. You're going to come work for me. And I go, I mean, I know I'm not going to leave this, this position to go to, to go to a country club, nothing against a country club, but, um, for, to have, to have so much learning taking place at, on that campus. But when I worked for initially for Braden, they forced me to work for him. They, uh, Mary Lay, she was in charge. She was a yeah. head coach. And I found out years later that, you know, basically people should have listened to Mary first. So because Vic would sometimes go so fast is that, you know, people couldn't really follow him. A great, great communicator, yeah. but, you know, to really study Vic, you should have read his books and you got, you got to hang out and listen and listen and listen. But with, uh, yeah. but I think finally the summer season came around because what I was doing is I was working nights. I was living in my van working nights where, so I was a gopher, you know, I'd show up in a getting aerial and all these world-class athletes and, it's just, it was, yeah, it was great. And, um, so when Gideon was on the podcast, you know, I had one book, he sent me another book and with, uh, yeah, people need to listen to that and just, you know, you, you can see movement, but you can't see forces and, you know, you can't see the wind, but it's, it, you know, go stand in it, you know, and people will just, it's, it's physics, physics, physics. I mean, it's, you know, all this, all this rant and raving about junior tennis, you know, people just need to have unbelievable skills. I liked what Casey Curtis said. He was a guest on our podcast, you know, skills, skills, skills. He just said it three times. Um, but going back to Andy, you know, he not only ended up in Southern Cal, but he lived where Vic ended up having a school in Utah. So he, yeah. then there was uh St. George. Uh-huh. You're from a, you're from a different era. I think a little bit, Mark Jakes and Dave Nostrand were, younger than you than after than you, but did you cross paths with those guys? Yeah. 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 Dave, actually Dave, um, you know, moving on in my life, you know, I ended up moving to Hawaii, you know, so I, I was fortunate, you know, spend nine years in Hawaii and, uh, like I said, been, it, it's kind of fun business. I actually remember Steve, you had everybody in one of those classes. You said, write down your goals. I mean, I, you know, you still love journals and people you said, everybody, I want you to write down your goals when you're, you know, what you'd like to do, you know, in the next five years or so. And uh, one of the goals I actually did write down is that I said I just wanted to run a, a big, a very successful junior program at a 
a big club, a club that has, you know, all the surfaces, you know, I was thinking, you know, where you had grass and hard court and clay. And the irony is I've probably done that about four times now. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been at some unbelievable properties and I've worked for, uh, you know, member owned clubs to corporate owned clubs to, you know, privately, just an individual, I've worked public facilities. So, I've been fortunate to kind of do do the whole thing, but Hawaii was a really good experience. And so we spent seven years on the, the big island and two years in Maui. But uh, when I got there, yeah, in a resort setting, what better person to bring in than to try to bring in Vic? So I reached out to Dave Nordstrom and see if at the time it was, I think, what they call it, Court Think. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they had a deal, Court Think. And I said, would you guys be interested? And running the Fairmont Orchid there on the big island with me because I had already was running another property, which was the Hawaii Preparatory Academy. It's an international boarding school there on the big island. And part of that is, can we get Vic out a couple of times a year? And, you know, I reached out to him and he's so close with Dave and Andy, you know, Vic was all in. And so for about a year, we had the big Brady tennis college there at Fairmont Orchid on the, the big island. And uh, so then once again, Andy and I, here's, here's this full circle thing. You know, it's like, uh, I think going back to a Campbell, Joseph Campbell always sit, talked about the hero's journey. You, you make this big circle. Well, I, I've circled back to the, the people that I think they're really solid in my life multiple times. And uh, I think, Steve, I think you're, the great basis is it, it is a circle too. I tell a student said, I said, well, man, you're learning this, you're, you're in the circle, you know? And I said, there's a circle of coaches and influence. And I said, it's a good circle to be in. It's a really good one because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, we're trying to expand it, but it's, it's really nice to have it where, you know, it's, it's kind of a system that everybody kind of knows. And I wouldn't say even system, but it's like, you got guys, everybody's on the same page. Yeah. And pros, pros that I've hired over time, that's, that's always been a real key thing for me is people that, you know, we're on the same page teaching are relatively close. And uh, so. Well, storytelling, yeah, I, and obviously this podcast is, is, that's what it is. It's a series of stories. Here, here's something on photography. And again, you're the, with your wife as well, those virtual resumes. Um, I mean, it's, it's, maybe that's not the best way to say it. The, um, it's a visual. It's called it, a visual. visual yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lifetime, yeah. it's a lifetime story. You both, you and your wife had a yeah. life, lifetime in tennis. I heard someplace way back when is that, no, I'm not going to take photos cause I'll be back. And I've been, I've, I've certainly been to a lot of places that I've been back to, but it's like, that was, that was dumb. But here's something that I still to this day. And actually uh, anybody who's been around me with my telephone skills, I've never taken a, fo- a photo with a phone, my phone. Because, no I hate, because I hate because I <laughs> hate because I hate cell phones because I know they just yeah. they're the they're the monster they're the so they're the yeah. dream killer they're they're the worst thing for junior tennis is the telephone and I mean I for the longest time yeah. I, for the longest time I wasn't going to get one but but uh, Melody and Vic um, I mean obviously the, the three of you I mean that's something that they were so keen on is uh, photography yeah. If I did a little segue about my wife here, like like I said, uh, you know, the uh, things like I said, so a lot of these things that tennis has given me, but I also met my wife through tennis. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. Let, let me uh, rattle this off. Uh, did a little homework uh-huh. uh, just 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 on the um, a visual a visual journey. But uh, yeah, a former Colleen Patton. I mean, we got to get Greg on our podcast. Uh, what a character! Former USTA national coach, uh, former college coach, um, college tennis hall of fame. But uh, tell me the story. Didn't uh, the, the their father passed away at a very young age, and Greg was like the oldest of seven or something, right? Yeah, that's true. So Greg kind of became the father of all of them. And uh, so Colleen, my wife Colleen, you know, she was, I think she's about uh, uh, second youngest out of, out of all the siblings there, but they all played tennis. Um, Greg's and my father-in-law, which is, he played tennis till he was 91. My mother-in-law, or which Colleen and Greg's mother, played tennis till she was 89. Um, and she also, know, so she also, she, that, that's also, she taught both, it wasn't just Greg, the mom taught your wife as well. Yeah, she the family, taught, grew up in Santa Barbara. A, yeah, and she, uh, her name's Rita, and Rita was actually, she's the uh, oldest woman in U.S. history to play college tennis. She went back to college at the age of 64 and made the team at Santa Barbara city college. And, uh, so they did a little write up on her. And I think in sports illustrated, you know, they always had those little articles in the back page of sports illustrated. And I think there's a whole thing about Rita on that and, and that, but, uh, yeah, you know, Colleen and I actually as coaches, you know, I've done all kinds of coaching with zonals and, you know, the boys, 18s, junior Davis cup, all that kind of stuff. But, she and I, Colleen and I actually met at a 14 zonals in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Not that we were players at 14 years old in the zonals, but we were coaches that were there. For different sections, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I always feel like it's, it's, just, it's just an amazing journey because I've met so many people through tennis. And, I, you know, I continue, but they're, they're just wonderful people. And you know, we, we've had Colleen and I, we worked together here at Wintergreen, where, we're at, where I'm now in Virginia, but we've always enjoyed working together. I actually told people, I said, the reason I married her is because I like being with her. But a, a big part of this whole thing is people say, well, when are you guys going to retire? You know, and, you know, don't you get tired of your job? It's, just, it's not a job. This is just what we do, you oh, know, and this is, this is our life, you know, and it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't see a retirement there. You know, I, I just, I, retirement means I'm not able to walk around anymore. But I, I think for this, it's just been an exceptional yeah, journey. And, and, you know, it was great to talk to Jacob Hansen about Peter Burwash is, uh, it's, it's, it's great if he can do something you love. I mean, obviously yeah. there's, there's always a downside to any, any job. I don't even like the word job. I tell young people I've trained, call it a project. This is the project I'm on. I'm building this. I'm helping this kid build their forehand. This, this kid said they want to be a good tennis player. It's a project. It's not a job. With, uh, but yeah, Colleen, California kid. I mean, she won a high, high school doubles four years in a row. Uh, actually, Vic Braden. Yep. Rick, Vic Braden. Uh, he was an athlete, little short guy. I mean, he, he was a high school quarterback, basketball player. I think it was three times where he won the singles championship in Michigan. Uh, but you're. Your wife uh, played at 
um, UCI, University of California, Irvine. Yeah. I, that's where I, I met uh, her, her brother way back when. Greg, when he was coaching there. Yeah, yeah there was a kid named Ruben Perchek who uh, played for him, who I met through Kim Wittenberg. Like you said, I like how you mentioned it's a circle. And uh, Perchek, uh, he, he ended up on the medical staff at Stanford, um, which makes me think when I say Stanford, looking at your wife's background, Back in the day, I mean, I consider myself very proud to have been a tennis camp junkie. Your wife, obviously, is a very accomplished player. She played across the U.S., played in Europe, played in Asia, represented, represented the U.S. I mean, lots of tournament wins. I've got down here, she played on, she was on the court with Austin, Davenport, the Bryan brothers as a competitor, yep. VJ Armitage, Gene Mayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I may have already said this to be, repeat myself, senior moment, played a club tennis in Germany with. Um, but really good players like that years ago would still teach in the summer. And you, you learn so much by teaching. You don't want to do too much of it, you know, you're, you know, but also if you're really motivated and you you say you've taught six hours at a camp, you know, a three hour morning session, three hour afternoon session, and then, Hey, I got to go practice. And, um, but it, you, you have down here that, uh, your wife worked at the Stanford camp a couple summers and, uh, just that in itself is like, Hey, Let's talk about that. I mean, these podcasts could go forever. I mean, that that would be great to talk to your wife. Just just that one camp. I mean, because when you think of Stanford, yeah. you think of Dick Gould and seventeen national championships and Frank Brennan and um, you know, and, and the, the, the women's well, side. The women's side has continued. Uh, was it? Go ahead. Yeah, part of that circle is is that like when we were in Hawaii, I had the Stanford men's and women's team come over to the big island to play the university of Hawaii. And it's, it's just, like I said, it's a lot of this is because I think people, they like being around tennis. They like being around good people. You know, you got to trust. It's just, it's a really broad circle of friends. And just, that's what I would say to kids is just, and Greg kind of preaches this too. He said, every tournament, make a new friend. You know, every time make a new friend, you can't have enough friends, you know, and, and Vic for me was definitely a friend. And besides being a mentor, I mean, I literally spoke to him a week, a week before he passed away. Um, and, uh, you know, I, he's a friend, you know, no, it's great. I told a young guy today with where he is with his tennis game, uh, maybe he shouldn't go to uh, beautiful Colorado and go skiing, but he said to me, I said, are you going with your family? He goes, no, I'm going with my best friend. I looked right at him and said, wait a minute. I thought I was your best friend. Yeah. But, but, but I was taught by my mother a long time ago. And I think everybody should know this is um, not what my mother taught me necessarily. But just this, this tip is uh, never say best friend because you, you should have so many best friends. And if you have a best friend, what's the second person going to think? think? Um, but yeah, I have tons of friends. You know, that expression... Um, um, don't burn bridges. Yeah, so you really don't want to burn bridges. I think something else that counters that though in tennis is that we got to build bridges. And I think yeah, that, I think that's I, like that. I think I think that's one thing that's a major problem is there. There's not a bridge for a beginner to become an advanced beginner. There's not a bridge for okay, you're training at this this club or this park, and your parents move. There's not a bridge from that coach to the next coach. And um, yeah, so yeah, you need to. Um, I, I understand, you know, people say, you know, um, you don't want to burn bridges, but at the same time we have to build bridges. And I don't think yeah. in, t- in the world of tennis, 
through and the best way to build bridges is through education and the people should be, right. the people should be linked together. You know, I don't have that many original thoughts. I mean, that, that's where it, and again, the people who are listening to our podcast. Thank you. But it, again, again, I say the same thing. It makes no sense for everybody to add their own two cents. And what Braden put together, you know, people say, well, it's not relevant today. You know, um, I was very flattered that Vic said, Steve, we should have been working together and I should have got gone forward with a flashlight. Make, you know, that, in the end, that's what I said. He said we should have worked together. I'm the one who said, yeah, you should have gone forward with a flashlight, making all these new discoveries. And I went backwards and hit people over the club, over the head with a club. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you do need a good cop, bad cop. I mean, Vic, yeah. you know, but people really listen to Vic. They would misinterpret him because he was always, like you said, you know, jovial. Is, you know, he used to always say it's not a golden day. And, you know, he had less, he had comments like, shut up and show me how to hit it. You know, just mm-hmm. shut up and show me how to hit it. He had his pet peeves where, you know, he wouldn't want to have kids going across the baseline hitting forehands for 20 minutes at the beginning of a lesson or just going across the baseline for two minutes. But he also, the pet peeve, he never wanted someone to say, well, in the next class, this is what we're going to cover. You know, Vic used to say, you need to teach bell to bell. And, you know, I had some people working for me when I was a department head, and um, th- I used to have a student assistant go to the class and make sure that, you know, it certainly was one of the tennis coaches and their thing was they wanted to have a winning tennis team. And you can be really popular if you uh, let your students out 20 minutes early, 30 minutes early, you know, 50 minute class. Seriously. Yeah, we're, we're, we're done for the day. But Vic used to say, just teach bell to bell. But yeah, with your your wife, almost 30 years, diversified experience. Um, but yeah, it's always good to cover the better half. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And too, I was thinking Vic always like as a, uh, he, uh, I, I don't like the word tennis pro. I don't think it's a tennis pro, but I like coach. He always called, called us coach. Like Vic would, you know, I'd walk up and he'd say, what, what are we going to do today, coach? That's, that's such a, that's a different word than calling somebody a pro. And, and, but also the, I think the skill sets and all, the, to, to be a coach involves many more things than, than somebody who's just a ball feeder. Here's uh, a, here's a clever, a clever Bradenism, a trick of Vic, is if he saw somebody that he didn't know, he'd go right up to him and say, hey, Phantom, where have you been? You've been a ghost. I haven't seen you in a long time. And, but, you know, he, he knew that I, and I learned this from Vandermeer, that I could learn, you know, 50 names in five minutes. And, and I can mm-hmm. remember one time, uh, you know, he did it many, many times. We'd be in some gathering or some traveling clinic. He said, Steve, why don't you introduce everybody now? And I, you know, I would, um, you know, I don't know what it was, uh, NHL hockey playoffs. I, somebody cornered me and I didn't learn everybody's name, but that was when I traveled with Vic, that's something that I would do is I would go in the room. I, you know, it's very easy if it's, uh, wine and cheese and people are having a beer or whatever, you just go by and you just shake everybody's hand and you just, all you got to do is have the confidence to do it. Repeat, yeah. repeat the names, use the names over and over again. But uh, he used to do that. Hey, Phantom, how you doing? And uh, but go right up to him. Um, you know, it, it is it is a little bit awkward socially to, you know, have forgot somebody's name. You know, when when an adult says they're not very good, oh, I'm not very good with names. You know, that's just something they've done their whole life. And when you meet somebody, well, you need to shake their hand, and we got to repeat their name at least three times. You know, hi Jim, how are you right. doing, Jim? Where are you from, Jim? And, you know, just, 
I repeat it over, over and over again. With um, t- tell us a little bit about wintergreen. Wintergreen, oh, yeah. So I think uh, wintergreen. I you know I talked to her earlier about being from Hawaii. I actually haven't seen all the United States, so we have not been to the East Coast. But I think we got a gem of a spot here, and uh, up on a mountaintop. So. 3,500 feet up, cooler than being in Southern Cal or Florida, which is nice. The average temperature, you know, somebody that's been outside a lot during my whole career is like, you know, the average temperature during the summer is probably around 75 degrees. Clay courts, indoor courts, kind of those little packages I said of of what my goal was is to to have a facility that kind of has all the tools that are available, indoor courts. We've got three indoor courts here. But it's all set in a beautiful woodsy area, kind of near the Blue Ridge Parkway and the Appalachian Trail. And it, it was just an unbelievable place. And I talked earlier about how many places we've been and worked for and all. But, you know, Vic was even going to write a book once called Wish to Woulda Coulda. How many people go through life where they go, well, I wish I would have done this or I could have done this. And, you know, I've kind of, I kind of like the exploration of it. And, you know, tennis is tennis, but I can put it, I can, I can teach it in different settings, you know, and this is, this is really a nice setting here in Virginia. And for you guys that are listening to this, you know, we're, Steve, you can kind of give a little intro into it, but I, we're going to try to do something this summer here and, uh, beautiful wintergreen Virginia and uh, it's a really unique setting but it's also I think a setting that's real conducive to learning and and having fun learning you know it kind of makes you think how Vic always talked about laugh and win I mean it's 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 you can get better and, and laugh and smile and relax you know and and improve it, it doesn't have to go without some enjoyment enjoy the experience of learning and I think sometimes uh, the environment that we create, not just by us as coaches, but even the setting kind of helps that too. You know, it's, it's, it's not a hysterical environment. No, I, I went up there to visit with you and Colleen and see Wintergreen, beautiful, beautiful place. Not that easy to get to though, remote. And I think that's obviously a a plus. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us about how you get there, where you fly into and, what what cities, yeah, what can, cities are in close proximity? Yeah, Washington D.C. is about three hours away. With that Dallas airport there, you fly into Richmond or Charlotte, Charlottesville, should I say? Charlottesville is about forty-five minutes away. Um, it's not too far away from uh, North Carolina. It's, the Virginia Beach is three hours away. Um. But the, like I said, the setting set in uh, the hills. There's not a lot of stop signs and stuff, which is a lot of traffic and, you know, no fast food, which is, I would put that in the plus column for athletes. No. There's, there's, no, um, there's no Chipotle. I don't know if I, some of the junior players I work with could, could yeah. survive. Yeah. yeah. Chipotle is pretty, pretty solid. The, uh, and then too, it's actually uh, you know there's uh, 
there's uh, golf here. There's, it's two locations. There's uh, we have four courts in a valley, and then up on the mountain, there's there's four clay courts, and then up in the mountain, there's the twelve clay courts, and there's the three indoor hard courts, and then there's also pickleball. You know, and uh, you know that's fascinating thing for all of you guys that you know think that pickleball is not here to stay. I'd say it probably is. Let me, uh, let me let me interrupt. We'll come back to pickleball. I don't want to yeah, okay. be rude, but yeah. let's come back to pickleball. I got some some notes here, and but let's yeah. go back to wintergreen a little bit. Um, yeah, snow, snow, snow. That's that's number. That's the number one deal up there, right? Is that people go there to ski, right? I know you have yeah. beautiful, beautiful yeah. golf, all these amenities, weight room, indoor pool, outdoor pool. Um, obviously, if someone wants to go on a hike, it's it's the place to go. Um, or, you know, it's right up there with, you know, it's like a beautiful, yeah, beautiful 30, place. Go ahead. Exactly. There's 30 miles of hiking trails, uh, the ski, uh, they have night skiing and then there's, uh, you know, daytime skiing. There's a, a, a tubing park. Uh, there's a really nice spa, indoor, outdoor pool. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a really unique setting. When they hired me here, the CEO of the company, he, you know, after during the interview, he said it's it's such a unique place. He says I think you need to go see it to experience it. And it's like I said, I've been a lot of places across the United States and a lot of clubs, but this is is certainly unique. And I, I'd put it pretty pretty top shelf type club here. Yeah, I would say I did it for ten years. I, it's, it's interesting you look back, and again, that's a great thing about how you and your wife had the, the resumes. You look back and see the photos. But your place would be a great, I think it'd be a great place uh, in the, the the Christmas, New Year's, the semester break, however you label it, to have a coach's class, a coach's course, and then families could come and then their kids could go snow skiing. Um, because the tennis is yeah. not as busy um, as in the wintertime as the snow skiing, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. This We've been here nearly a year and a half that the uh, you know, the golf here is seasonal, you know, the skiing seasonal, but the tennis, we have tennis year round because, you know, we go from the, either the clay courts to the indoor, uh, a lot of times with people ski half a day and then they'll come into the tennis courts, you know, the other half or in the evenings, you know, they, they get the benefit of the morning skiing and then they, they use the tennis center in the afternoons. You know. What about, it's, about you know, seven ahead. days a week? What about it's seven days a week? Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Now you say about the indoor courts, mm-hmm. but they have to make their own snow most of the time. Yeah, they have the actually a couple of most sophisticated snowmaking machines in the world, and uh, the ownership of the property. You know, they they they're based out of Utah. They actually own about five other ski resorts, but they literally could control the machines from Utah. Um, I've, I've learned a lot about snowmaking here too. You know, except being in tennis, you know, you always where it's sun and shine, but it, it takes about uh, ten inches of water to make one inch of snow. Say that again. And, uh, but say that again. Ten inches of water. Ten inches of water to make one inch of snow. Wow. So these mountains, you know, they there's a lot of water and springs underneath, and so uh, you know, there's lots of rivers. It, it's it's being that there's a lot of water here, it's also very green, and that's uh, and hence the name probably winter green. You know, it's uh, 
for our for our Canadian listeners, I ask Canadian juniors who have tons of Canadians come and visit. Um, do you know why you're not supposed to eat yellow snow? And they all look at me and smile. They do. They do get that. But then, yeah. then my next question is: Could you walk from here and put your hand on the net? Then they they struggle. They, they, it's amazing how tennis players don't know where the net is. They they hit balls into it, but they don't know how to walk towards it. How about yeah. how about mountain biking? There's a lot of mountain biking on the trails around the Appalachian Trail. There's a lot of that up there. Um, like I said, Appalachian Trail, I, I'd probably get the number wrong, but it, you know it stretches along the whole eastern seaboard from you know what's that probably Maine or so. I'd, that'd be right, Steve, down to Georgia. Yeah, I know yeah. it goes all the way down to Georgia, and that's that's yeah. probably one of the the longest hikes in the United States, yeah, but also I, one of the most beautiful. I have a couple of friends that, that have, have done that from from one end to the other with mountain biking. Um, obviously at the resort, you, they have bikes that you can rent, correct? Uh, they go down in the valley, in the valley, not, not on the mountain per se, but the, uh, let's say another thing that I think is really unique too, is just the amount of wildlife is up here too. I mean, there's, there's bears, hawks, eagles. There's a lot, this is a big area for, bird watching um the uh like i said blue ridge parkway is one of the most scenic drives in all of the united states i mean it kind of hangs on the edge of cliffs and kind of meanders through really nice forests so it's and it's literally five minutes from my tennis center you know where we're at here so it's 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 really a beautiful place we've got several restaurants up here during the summer, they actually have a wintergreen music festival. It's usually classical music. Uh, they do outdoor plays some that run um, pretty much all summer. They've had the sound of music up here, which is, you know, you can imagine a sound of music in a setting, a mountain setting, watching a play like that is that's pretty exceptional. Yeah. I know that um, we'll come back and we'll talk about pickleball with, uh, yeah. we'll come back and talk about spinoffs as well. Um, in other words that, yeah, I just mentioned that yeah, it'd be great to have a, a, a week uh, in the semester break and say somewhere where it's after Christmas or before New Year's, like Vic used to have, um, he has course for coaches. Uh, I mean, I used to go from the, you know, I have a semester break off being in a department at a college and I would be at the orange bowl. And then I would, I mean, I went 10, I, I went 10 times to his, uh, I went as a student, I worked it as a staff member and I took coaches over and over again, but it, it, wow. would, it would be great to have a, and I have, I have so many of those on audio cassette. Um, the, the USTA, the United States tennis Academy. Um, and that's something too, that Vic stopped doing. And it's like, well, gee, why did that happen? The way life unfolds is that, uh, I mean, it used to be, capacity you know he had a classroom that t- t- would sit 72 people and he would take 72 maybe he'd have it 80 and put some more chairs in but but yeah the summer we're scheduled to come and join you for the summer um but it, it's really you know i was on a conference call with you and team members people work there and i think the one lady who said it's really more of a program than a camp um but we we're gonna we're scheduled to be there i think june 17th uh you know, sometime in August, not a nine week. It's nine weeks, correct? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We're really looking forward to it. 
I also, also can tell you too, you know, this is, there's, they call this Nelson County 151. And what that is, is this is a, this is kind of the heart of Virginia wine country, wine and cider country. And uh, probably for the Australian guys, you know, the, the beer too. But there's, I think there's, well, it'd probably be pretty close to right. There's probably 40 plus wineries and breweries all in this kind of county. So it's kind of a, that's because it's just lush and it's a beautiful spot. So. No, we're off to a late start getting the word out. Uh, but you know, we have had a coach from Australia contact us, wants to come over and bring a group, and uh, it's a long ways to come. But we we certainly feel that um, it's a it's a, just a solid connection for you and I. The way we go back, and yeah. I just have to tell people that we yeah, we studied tennis together in the eighties, and most importantly. Uh, Steve worked for, you know, you have obviously as a tennis director, you have to wear so many different hats, but, but that's the, uh, the to me, the most important, the most important is, yeah, they asked me about Steve Campbell. Yeah. He doesn't own Campbell's soup, but he did work for Vic Braden. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I would offer Texas hospitality in a Virginia setting. So I, would say, I, yeah. but, uh, I know you got a great sense of humor, so I'll, I'll bring in my Texas jokes. Out yeah. There. That was a joke. That was a joke. No, yeah. no, no. I think that, no, that, <laughs> Oh, I, I love the Texans. Yeah. The Texans are like Bostonians. You know, they just have great missionary zeal. They think Texas is the greatest place in the world. So I certainly well, it I, is. There, 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 there you go. But uh, <laughs> with pickleball, I just think a story. Uh, um, with when I first heard of Wintergreen, and um, I'd heard the name and such, but when I heard, okay, I, you know, Andy Fitzell, he was contacted by Warren Pretorius who, um, tennis analytics, he's been a guest on our podcast. And I like how you said the circle, um, years ago I had met Warren, but I was at a used PTA function and I'm listening to Warren and I went up afterwards and, and said, uh, Hey, you connected with Vic. And he was very nice. Such as, I think he's an intellectual, but he's very humble. And he said, no, I connected with Dave, Dave, Dave Nostrand and Mark Jakes. And then Andy, Andy Fitzell, with that group, he'd be the younger statesman. And um, I remember Warren, who's such a smart guy, he said, Steve, you were smarter than I was. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you got it all at once. I would just hear Vic, golden nugget here and a golden nugget there. But, um, you know, I've heard him say, because for the longest time, he traveled all over the world, escaping me, uh, Dartfish. And he was a a leader with Dartfish. And... um, with that, um, he'd say, well, I go to these academies to sell dart fish, but I really feel like telling kids, hey, put your rackets in your shoulder bag. That's where I got that line. I steal lines. I mean, poached. I like that. I poached that from Warren Retorius. Yeah. Put your rackets in your shoulder bag and run away as fast as you can. Um, and it's unfortunate. You know, that's where we come across the egotistical, but it's really unfortunate when you're watching kids. You know, they got palm-up serves and, you know, um, they're running the wrong way. I know I have a lot of kids now that are talking about the Easter bowl. And, and I said, did you say toilet, toilet bowl? I don't, I don't want to offend the Easter bowl. I mean, sure. I go off on a tangent with uh, Cena Hamilton. I one time had the job of trying to, the project of trying to buy the Easter bowl for Robbie Seguzo, Carling Bassett and Arthur Cohen. And I said, I think, I, I think she's selling us a Super Bowl, but with uh, so anyway, Warren Pretorius tells Andy Fitzell about Wintergreen at that time. Um, you know, for personal reasons, 
more so than professionally. He married a, a young German gal, a beautiful lady, and beautiful person. And so they going, they're going back to Germany. So then anyway, I did talk to the CEO. And at that time, is where I said, hey, let's delay the pickleball story. Because I told, I remember telling a gentleman, uh, the CEO, his first name is Vern. I remember telling him, uh, because they, they had a problem, I think, with the three courts or whatever, with drainage. And they said that, you know, they're looking at doing different things. And I said, well, you have three indoor courts. You build three more indoor courts. And he said, I'll just come there, hook, line, and sinker, and, and uh, make it a coaching school. And, then, and coaches will bring players. But, you know, I mean, I, so I had a conversation, and then I know uh, shortly afterwards you were involved. But tell the listeners what, because I've been there, and it's amazing. It's, it's really done. They, they didn't build a new I think he told me there would have been a million dollars, but they, um, you came in very instrumental with what they've done with pickleball. And it's great that at your place, pickleball, I'm sure on a rainy day, they're, I like the verb, they're invading tennis. Um, but I'm sure on a rainy day, they're inside playing some pickleball. You got to obviously as a tennis director schedule that, but tell us what you've done with the facility, the pickleball facility at your place. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I'd say even for anyone is just that, and this is something Vic actually said too, is that he always said the tennis court is like your office, you know, and you you got to treat a place like if it was your home or if it was your own. Like this is, this is somebody else's property, granted that they own it, but I kind of feel like, well, if it was mine, how would I treat it? You know, and I think part of it is a little bit of Boy Scout too, is just you leave a place, better you know when you left and when you got there and so this place we've done a lot of improvements and there was there was actually uh three dead courts those ones that we were talking about there, there were ones that had been kind of abandoned uh, by i think several reasons lack of use and then also by just the drainage problem on a on a clay court and so when i got here somebody had told me that said hey well there's there's probably a hard court underneath it. And so we dug down about a foot down. It looked like an archeological dig where you're, you know, looking for King Tut's tomb and a foot down, we struck a hard court. And uh, then the crew took about 20 dump loads of truck loads of clay off of these three courts and discovered that there was a hard court, three hard courts underneath. And so and then they were in pretty good shape with not too many cracks. So it missed either by compaction or how they were built. They were done pretty well. So, you know, we were at this little point, well, you know, do we keep tennis courts, you know, keep three hard courts or should we think about the pickleball, which is, like I said, it's, it's kind of rampant in the United States now. And, you know, so I was looking at, well, three hard courts versus eight pickleball courts. And so we decided to kind of go with the pickleball, you know, and uh, the the nice part about that too, is it's in its own little setting. It's not like, I know some of the other clubs I've been at pickleball is, you know, it's gotten noisy and there's a subset of people that don't like being next to it, but this has its own kind of unique setting. And so it's, it's first class, you know, that here at Wintergreen, these work for a lot of companies, but they don't, they don't cut corners. And so it's, it's first class there. Um, but, you know, we, we do juggle it, juggle. I have, I have members and people who play both. And uh, matter of fact, I play my wife, like I said, she has an extensive tennis playing background. 
but she's also a very, very good tennis uh, pickleball player, and she teaches pickleball too. And that was, it's, I think that transition for her to teach pickleball than to go from pickleball into tennis is a lot easier transition from someone that I think, I think as the future goes, I think there's going to be people who just play pickleball. And I think that's going to be a hard transition if they ever wanted a coach or play tennis to go that route. I think the tennis to pickleball, pickleball is a lot easier route, you know, to, to make that transition. And, but, uh, most of it, I think, what we found is that I think the difference, and I, I do like playing a bit, but it's it's certainly a lot more social. You know, it's it's easier for people that really you just take a few steps and you're at the net. But uh, being a, still kind of a tennis purist, you know, I, I I like tennis, but the part about pickleball I've discovered with one of our other pros here, is, uh, Ethan, is that playing singles reminds me of the way I used to play as a junior tennis because you got a lot more court to cover and basically you got to serve the ball comes back to you, let it bounce once and then get to the net. If you're on the receiving side, you try to get to the net. So back to the full circle, Steve is, is back like, you know, get to the net and, uh, you know, points are one from the net in pickleball you, you, in singles play in particular, you cannot win from the baseline. And I think that's, I think that's kind of a, a fun part of it. You know, that, that was a lot more instinctive for me. Like even Colleen and I, when we played pickleball, you know, the your first ball back after you served, you're supposed to let it bounce. That was a tough deal because I was so used to going in and playing doubles. You're so used to going in instead of letting it bounce that one time. But, but I, I, I see the pluses in it now, you know, I'm kind of looking at it a little bit differently. So I've spent, yeah, I know you. I know you mentioned to me the, the fifty years in tennis. You know, it's like wow. Yeah, I, with uh, you, you mentioned that you, know, you have it's, it's like a second facility at the bottom of the mountain, where you have four clay courts. And at the top, you have you have fifteen courts at the top plus pickleball. You said to you know try to make the clay courts down at the bottom really compact. I remember being at Boca West, All American Sports, and Jimmy Connors was playing Borg. Jimmy O'Brien was a t- tennis director and they had somebody the entire night. They didn't stop the guy. They had a, you know, a couple guys take turns and they rolled the court the entire night and, and Borg still ended up winning that match, but they wanted to, Jimmy wanted to play as much like a hard court as he could possibly could have that yeah. happen. But yeah. I, I've been told that in pickleball, they're trying to come up with, cause here in, in South Florida, but especially in Boca, there's so many clay courts is that the pickleballers and so many of them are our age that they it'd be good if they could be playing on clay for their joints. But I guess the, the, the wiffle ball they have right now is not conducive to playing on clay. Correct. Yeah. It, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm still in the experimental stage on my end of it. You know, my personal jury's still out on it, but uh, you know, I think that to me, it makes sense. You know, I, 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 I hate seeing, tennis courts being converted all into pickleball. I mean, it's just an example would be, you know, the Bobby Riggs uh, uh, center. I don't, I don't know if you've seen pictures of it, but you know, that that's pretty legendary club out in Southern Cal and they're, it's pickleball now. And yeah, I know. I've heard that. I, when, uh, uh, one of Vic's coaches, uh, Rick Schroeder, son of Ted Schroeder, who won Wimbledon, I mean, uh, 
I could say that when I would play Schroeder back in the day, I could edge him out, but he could play left-handed and right-handed equally well. And the thing is, is that he wasn't even a tennis player. He you know, was Schroeder's kid, and he played when he was really young. And he continued to play. He worked for Vic forever. But he was an All-American in two sports in college, golf and basketball. Um, but he um, was doing some teaching there. And because, you know, Ted Schroeder's his father, he buddy-buddy with Bobby. And, it's, uh, and so he took me there. And uh, so Bobby was smoking a cigar. And I was there more than one time. But it, it was uh, smoking a cigar and playing cards. And, but to actually get to meet Bobby Riggs and hang out. Um, Jimmy Connors hanging around guy, uh, Lorne Kuehl. Um, they have a Bobby Riggs museum there too. I mean, how did that happen? But it's like, well, we got to pay the bills. And, yeah. you know, for about the same amount of time that you've been at Wintergreen, I've been in South Florida and before the pandemic, you know, sometimes twice a month, we're renting a Airbnb place to bring kids to tournaments because there's more tennis, competitive tennis, better tournament play. You can go to Rick Macy's place, uh, it's just amazing. It's it's very expensive, yeah. and, but it's just what happens there. It's like who's who in tennis shows up. It's just, it's just uh, over overall the, the level play could be so much better because the kids are playing very much one dimensional tennis. There's no doubles, but but it, yeah, it's just sad that that term uh, invading taking the sport over. But but I like what you said, experimental. So about the t- the same amount of time you've been in Wintergreen. I mean, I have a townhouse. It's the backyard is 64 acres this park and there's pickleball. So I walk by the pickleball and just sit and watch. And it's like, okay. But the term that I learned from Dave fish, um, that spec tennis, which I don't know why they changed the name. They should have just called it paddle tennis. Like what they had in the forties. They still have at Venice beach out in California, but you play with a wood mallet, you know, now it's, that's obviously a different material, but it used to be a wood mallet, perforated holes in it you play with a punctured tennis ball and there's yeah. so, so many stories gonzalez riggs alfia gibson but a couple of things on pickleball yeah I, I like what you said experimental i ran into stevie longley who um you know he was a hitting partner for serena williams for like three years and you know now he's i think 50 55 years old and and um you know, he's talking to me at Rick Macy's place. So again, you run into everybody and I think he's got a great idea for pickleball. And if you people looked it, looked it up, um, the, um, he's, if you just were to put pickle ping tennis, I, th- I could be wrong, but you can find it. Ping tennis, Stevie Longley or Steve Longley. I mean, I've known him since he was a kid. He's known me since where I was uh, a hockey player hitting a ball on a backboard with no clue. But um, he would like to have another line and call it the oven. And you can't go forward until the ball lands. It, you know, so, you know, you're, so it's more like tennis. And, you know, you can't go forward until the ball lands in the oven. So you can't just charge the net. So that, this is one thing. That, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The, another thing he has, um, and I need to know more about it, but um, I did look at his, the first video he showed me just on his phone, and I looked at a couple others is doubles is play it like ping pong doubles you know ping pong doubles you play play mini tennis you could do it full baseline to baseline you have to hit every other ball mm-hmm. there's two people hitting balls and you know you, you have to hit every other ball and he's saying to bring exercise into it but i i see it as the 70s where 
people are making it up as they go along. You know, it's booming. And what we need to do is fight for tennis and say, hey, learn tennis skills and use pickleball as a progression. And then also be learning tennis so you can play the bridge, you know, because if you do play, like Dave Fish said, if you play spec tennis, you're just like when you were, if you played paddle tennis, like Althea Gibson, you know, that movie League of Your Own where, you know, um, Tom Hanks, uh, Madonna, there's no crying in baseball. Um, yeah. But during World War II, the, the, the men were all at World War II and the, every town, every small, large town, there's baseball teams every weekend playing baseball teams. And that's where Althea Gibson learned to have a serve by playing baseball. But then Roosevelt wanted to have these short courts because he thought the parks, it was too much land, too much money, and have short courts. And I guess it was New York or Gibson in that area, New York City and then St. Louis. And then, but the ones that are still out in California, Venice Beach, um, you know, you get on YouTube and you can watch Monfils playing uh, paddle tennis. And people can almost instantly, like they said about racquetball that came official sport in 69, Newsweek or Time Time Magazine, I think it was Newsweek, said that you could convert athletic skills to, to racquetball in, in an hour and a half. But to have tennis skills, it would take you a year and a half. And it's like Braden used to say that, you know, that people would buy their buy tennis clothes and wear them to the grocery store. But now yeah. now people <laughs> going back to Vic, uh, the circle, is people can buy the tennis clothes and they can play right away. They could yeah. at this at this sure. at this park in the evening. I mean, this place is just packed. I mean, there's there's like sixty people waiting to play, and they have a great system where I think you play to eleven. You put just like you know, someone yeah. goes into a, uh-huh. a pizza pub, a bar, and they want to play a pool. They just put their quarter on the table, and it's pretty yeah. much that way. But I, I think another thing is to play tickleball. Is just say, hey, this is tickleball. And Jim Klein touched upon that. As someone who obviously, like yourself, he went to tennis tech first, and and then you know he's a Braden Knight, and um, I say that is the highest compliment. Where um, he says, no, he you know you can let kids you know okay serve overhand and come in and volley, and you you still can have kids go over there. And I yet, I mean, I tell my kids don't put the word pro and procrastination, but I haven't gone out and bought. I have some spec rackets that they sent me. Um, yeah. And I did a little bit of work just, you know, saying, hey, Dave Fish asked me to do this video for them that you can learn uh, tennis skills. Actually, it's a girl, um, it was two sisters, Alanis Hamilton and her sister, Enya, who have been taught by Cole Reeves. And they've been taught basically great base, but Braden technique. And uh, the, the younger sister is really improving. The older sister, she, you know, really sticks out like a sore thumb because you go to a tournament and she might, you know, you look across, you know, six, eight courts and there's, well, there's this one kid who can volley. Um, you know, we had a, a boy from Montreal. You playing somebody came in and volley at the Battle of Boca. And the guy on the other side said, this is the Battle of Boca. No one volleys here. I have been told uh, that pickleball is mostly swing volleys. But, you know, you, you, somebody could go and say, I'm just going to have fun. And I'm going to play pickleball to improve my tennis game. Yeah. You know, just like juniors, you know, these, these, we, we see these men once or twice a week, I guess twice a week and throughout Florida and they're disappearing, but this park has 16 three wall racquetball 
courts. And, you know, I've never been there one time where the backboards aren't open. But generally, the men take one side. It's a great place to pick up on your profanity. These guys are, you know, they're all between sixty. They're all between sixty-five and dead, and uh-huh. and they are just swearing at each other, and it's very comical. And I think it's actually good for the juniors. It's like, okay, no more virgin ears. You go to one junior tournament, you you lose your virgin ears, and but but they're just, they're, they're just they're just oh, yeah. they're just swearing at each other, and yeah. but. Um, but, but my point is, is that they're, okay, someone's seven or someone's 70, they just want to win. Of course mm-hmm. you want to win, but don't you have some, uh, some tricks up your sleeve where I'm going to do this now so I can do this later? Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, people are thinking, well, down the road, uh, you know, when I'm 18, I'm going to be able to come to the net instead of, uh, can you imagine some kid going to college? I feel so sorry for college coaches that they... Yeah, they kids show up and they don't even know where to stand when they're playing doubles. With, um, but no, I think that because you're the tennis director, obviously, and I think that's an important point to share over and over again is club corp. Yeah, I bet. Go ahead. I've I've, yeah, I've I've had to embrace that. Yeah, I've um, I'd say one other little thing too is just like um, being the tennis family. I think I think pickleball I see, I see a lot of families playing it we have a lot of guests that come up that the whole family gets out um in my my own family my daughter um who ended up playing you know college tennis at boise state but i as a junior i never i really i didn't really push her that hard because i always told her that when you're 80 years old uh, when i'm 80 years old will you still hit with me and she said yeah and some of my best moments in my entire life have been when I would work with my daughter and we'd sit down and have a conversation on the bench. And sometimes it was about tennis, but most of the time it was about other things. And yeah, it, I know it, that you, you know, I, I got a great relationship with her because of that. And, you know, is, is keeping everything in perspective. You know, I think there's a time for competitive and there was a time to be, you know, you know, really, on it but then there's another side that I, I want I've always wanted her to be able to have this sport that like I said that what I've got, gained out of it in my life is I, I want her to you know feel that way and that you know that she'll pass that on to her kids and kind of keep this sport going I, I ask a lot of parents too I'm getting these calls and you know and a, a lot of these kids are pretty young that you know they're looking for a program or looking to come to you and and I literally asked most of, a lot of these parents, I said, well, do you play tennis? And some of them don't. And and I'm like, well, I'm, I said, well, you should. You know, it's not too late. You know, yeah. you, you gotta, if, you, if your kid's doing it, you should play it. Well, you yeah, know a little it, bit how it, how it feels and, and, and all of that. You know? No, it's like Braden, who loved basketball, his first love really is that, you know, yeah, you can just go out and dribble. You just go shoot in the driveway. You don't have to be in a game. You can just, you know, okay, let's just get a, yeah. rally, a rally going from the service line. No, I was fortunate enough to be on the court with your daughter, Corey, with um, what, I, what I mentioned, great, great kids, um, you, you know, re- reflective behavior. Um, that's a compliment to you, Colleen. With Club, yeah. with Club Corp, I always say, yeah, they got 200 directors and there's a safe bet that, you know, you know, each culture is different from one facility to the next because it's determined by the, the tennis director or the head coach or whatever the title may be. But, you know, yourself being the tennis director, 
Um, you know, you certainly want to honor pickleball, but I was at your place. Let me ask you, but I don't remember. Do you have the tendon underlines on your indoor courts? I mean, obviously you don't have them on, their clay, on your clay courts, but do you have them on your indoor courts? No. Uh-uh. You know, that's no. where, um, you know, that's obviously not mandatory, but it, it turns into a very good teaching. And Vic used to say, because people would um, complain about the tendon underlines, and when you go into a gym and you're a basketball player, and they've got lines for badminton and volleyball. You're the basketball player. You know where your lines are. And, mm-hmm. you know, Vic did so much research on the brain. You know, we don't get around. We, we have a lot of clever progressions on teaching um, emergency shots that we've gathered from here and there and everywhere. And, you know, many times, uh, and actually, we're, I'm, I'm looking to make a change for that for the upcoming uh, winter season where, you know, we haven't been advertising and, you know, our students send two students and we have people come to us who have to rebuild their games. And um, it's, that's, that's a very tough undertaking. I do think that Wintergreen would be a very good place to teach parents and coaches the pathway of developing a player. You know, this is what you can do at home. This is what you can do off the court. Um, with, but I think also, but with pickleball, it's like, when people play squash, Braden with the brain, that, um, you know, Harry Hopman used to have the, his players like a laver play squash with their opposite hand so they wouldn't, have an in, they wouldn't be imbalanced and not overuse the in laver side, the, the left side. Yeah. But, um, no, that, to have, uh, you know, as a tennis director, obviously, you know, tough job to keep everybody happy, but to have juniors go out and play pickleball, t- go play pickleball, play with your left hand, but play like a tennis player, split step, get a ready position, mm-hmm. hit the, hit the wiffle ball. Like say, it, you know, we're, we're just not as smart as we are, as they are in other sports is if a kid was playing wiffle ball years ago, like I could never hit a baseball. I mean, I had a better chance of hitting a softball. And I always tease, you know, once they came up with that watermelon sized bat, I could hit a wiffle ball, you know, seven, eight, yeah. seven, eight, exactly. seven, seven, eight years old. But when you were playing wiffle ball, you tried to take the same swing as the people in the major leagues. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't go out and say, well, I can sw- swing at this wiffle ball any way I want. And, you know, I know tennis is different. It's a series of balls coming at you. It's random. It's not just like, okay, here's one pitch and we wait. Here's one pitch and we wait. But, uh, no, we in tennis, you know, that term united, you know, I don't want to get political in the U.S., but, you know, we, we need to be united. You know, now the left and right are too far apart. And there's no center, but... I do think that the USPTA, you know, United, the USTA, United, and um, yeah, so pickleball, it's uh, it's interesting. I think. Uh, well, you're talking about the lines on the court. Is that you know? I think you know. I, there, there's a deal of court awareness, like you said, when you play. If you're aware of the dimensions of the court for your sport, you know where the line is. You, you know it's good. Like ball, you're at the net, the ball goes over you you know if that's going to be pretty darn close to the baseline. You yeah. know, if somebody lobs you. And uh, I I think it's a little bit of, like, my own membership is, they're very accepting of having those other lines out there, you know. They're very accepting of it. And uh, But I've been at clubs where they're not, but I think that was a little earlier on and it wasn't quite in that transition period. So I, I think our club, and I, I think you kind of alluded to it, but it's a, a little reflective of, the directors and the staff and all is, you know, we, we kind of embrace, embrace all of that, you know, but, uh, 
I'm still pretty much tennis purist. So. Well, uh, at this park uh, in, in Pickleball, if you want to come and bring your own jam box and play music loud, <laughs> if you want to bring your if you want to bring your dog or your dogs, uh, it's 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 definitely yeah. it's not a quiet please. It's it's yeah. uh, and who who knows? I mean, uh, will one day will there be scholarships for pickleball? Will, will we have? Uh, I, I don't think that there's going to be uh, like we in tennis have four Super Bowls, um, but yeah, I think I think as a tennis director, um, you know, I think Stevie Long has a great line to have that second line and say, okay, here's one more, here's some ways, different ways to play it, and mm-hmm. you know, I think the one thing about pickleball, I heard Chuck Gill say this a long time ago, uh, you know, somebody who's been you know a leader with the USPTA. I mean, I never worked at the same place with Chuck, but we both worked at All American Sports in the '70s, and he's had a lifetime successful career in tennis. It's you know it's such a casual sport, and you know you used to be able to show up at a park and somebody be hitting the backboards. Hey, you want to hit some balls? And you know now there's not so many backboards, but yeah, I think that we 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 have to join them. I mean, I think uh, you know I hear one mom that I talked to quite a bit about pickleball is just that we need to beat them. And you yeah. know, like show up and and uh, but you beat them with being taught tennis skills and then you know the prevention of injury um, you know um, you know say for a, a, a volley comes right at you you know you want to play a backhand volley because of the range of motion but the way people are playing pickleball um, you know it's just this swiping action where they bring their palm back into their body and you know the term dinkum you know. Uh, uh, yeah, it's yeah. used in mini tennis uh, circles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pickleball. No, you have. I think it's great that you have a place that's separated, but at the same time, I like what you said about families. You know, the other thing too mm-hmm. is just, just become athletic. Um, but at, yeah. the, at the same time, um, you know, Ryler DeHart, who, you know, Ryler's background. He started with Thomas Olshed. Um, Tom, I had made did video work for. Ryler, you know, really from the beginning days when he started as a young kid and, and then um, he spent years working with me and then he went to college, he played for Tylee. So, you know, he was, uh, but he, he was around, you know, the, the, the core knowledge, the core information for a long time. And his wife, Megan, who's a very good tennis player, played at Illinois. I, I guess she's like four in the world. And, and um, but so his young kids can, you know, I saw him hit some pickleball. I saw them. Uh, hit pickleballs, you know. Is that Isaac? Is that how you would say it? They were they were playing pickleball and yeah. And um, yeah, it's just I just think that uh, it's like okay, let let's uh, you know have that be an alternate pathway. Is okay. Yeah, you can play pickleball and um, with um, at your place um, rules and regulations. Can kids go on your courts and play mini tennis? Can they take a tennis ball and hit? Yeah, yeah, they for sure could. Oh, you let you I mean, allow, you allow, you allow that, right? Oh yeah, I allow that. Because I know sure I know would. I know some people are having problems where at this park yeah. is, is the pickleball players. Uh, they go and uh, they'll just jump on a tennis court and play pickleball. There's no lines, but the court's empty, and they're, they're they don't want to wait with the yeah. 50, 60 plus. And but it's you know if you show up on the pickleball courts and you're playing tennis. There's no regulation. So, uh-huh. so the people who want to, oh, yeah, there's an empty pickleball court. You know, right now, yeah. I mean, right now we're getting outnumbered where it's like, okay, there's, uh, let's see how many people are playing tennis, how many people are playing pickleball. 
And, you know, perhaps you're in, in, in this area where there's a lot of retirees. Maybe that's the case, too, because there's uh, yeah. more I older people. When you were saying that earlier, is I think, you know, every, every property has its own, you know, its, its own demographics, personality, you know. And, and for me, I've, it's, it's always I, every property I've gone to has been different. I can't say everyone's the same, but it's, you know, just kind of getting a bead for what, what it is here. But. Like we've got a pretty strong set of tennis tennis camp, and then we've got some that cross over to pickleball, and then just some that like, you know, just pickleball. So, but it's, yeah, well, you're, I, you know, you're... I think for, formats are a big part of things too. Like in tennis, you know, I still think you know, like, I like this the doubles that cross court doubles, the doubles shootout format. Um, Colleen, you talked about her a little earlier. She played soft tennis in Asia, you know. Which is kind of using something similar to a squash racket with a racquetball, and you're playing kind of kind of like ghost doubles, playing the half court tennis. And it's a little different set of rules, but that's that's big in Asia, and I, I could see variations of that going to, with tennis too. You know, oh, the the, U, the UTR um, they just came out with it's it's a promotional. I don't know the details. Oh, the dingles. Yeah, yeah, and the dingles, I mean, yeah. there's, you know, okay, we're going to go cross-court, you go cross-court, how, how long can you keep the ball in play? And then you, as, as a coach, you can add variables. Okay, count to 20 and then play. So they got to hit 20 ground strokes. There's four people on the court hitting cross-court. But how we do it, as soon as the point's over, I mean, I should say as soon as one pair misses, there's four people on the court, everybody, yeah. just, everybody just goes to the net. You just close in. But the, the, yeah. the tape I looked at was they were playing dingles where you didn't have to go forward. But I think people, yeah. old school, and I don't like that term so much, old school, no school, how's it go? Old school, new school, there is yeah. no school. Is that you play dingles, you're rallying cross court. You could do it where it's up the line, but you make a game. But also too is that, oh no, come on, we're not going to play until we can at least hit 10 balls three times in a row. Yeah, and, and then you have to switch because you don't want to just be always hitting cross court backhands or vice versa. But yeah, the, the the commissioner of tennis is someone who's in charge of tennis for the day. Is that Dingle should be hey hit ground strokes, boom, go to the net. And yeah. I, I think that we in tennis could capitalize. Um, and you know, I remember when Agassi first came on the scene and was playing swing volleys. It was like taboo. It was like no, you can't do that. So tennis has evolved. You know, years ago, I mean, um, people weren't playing swing volleys because, I mean, three of the four, I mean, they were, but it wasn't as prevalent. Three of the four Grand Slams, la da da were on grass, and by the second week, players were in spikes, and, um, you know, the speed of the ball. The players yesteryear were great, but it was, it was almost twice as slow. And that's where people miss out. They look at it and go, oh, it's not any good. Yeah, look how slow they play. But, yeah, look at the skill set. And, again, coming back to some of the things we talked about, labor and uh, – Connors, you won't. Somebody watches that; they're not going. And that was, you know, 1975. We're going on 50, almost 50 years ago. It's like unbelievable tennis. But, you know, pickleball. Something I've learned about pickleball is that, like in the tournaments, you know, people like the balls to be rough. They they scuff up the ball. The reason for that is because it creates that little air friction, and you can actually get spin on it. Um, I, I have a pro that started playing in pickleball tournaments and the officials come around and actually check your paddle to make sure it's not like sandpaper. And another thing they said, they make sure that nobody sprayed it with like 
hairspray or anything. All that's doing is it gets it a bite on the ball where you actually get spin. And uh, spin is pretty darn effective. I've noticed just myself playing on with pickleball. But I think it's still, it's still in its infancy about some of those rules, about what you can do with the ball. And I think the instructional part, you know, I think there's guys that are, you know, it's kind of like the deal about rolling your wrist after the ball, your ball is hit, it's off your racket. And somebody's still trying to create spin by rolling the wrist. Pickleball still in that little deal where there's a lot of misnomers about the physics of hitting a ball, you know. And uh, but that that I, I think that's a big opening in, in pickleball instruction too. Is just that there's not enough people that understand the physics of what happens, and, and it's you know it's just it's a physics problem. You know? With uh, boy, it's great for people learning how how to hit half volleys. But with that though. Um, you know, the wise guy used to tell people, you play tennis like a naval commander. Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Your belly button's always facing the net. Is, <laughs> you know, the, 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 play, that one. the play, people playing pickleball, and, you know, there's, I mean, granted, a tennis ball only weighs two ounces, but they're just not turning. You know, they're, um, and, you know, they're not, it's just most players, um, you know, it's, instruction destruction but it, it's pretty easy to pick out someone i mean if they played at a you know not a club level but they played say four or five which is a good tennis player they play you know four or five or, or higher um let's talk a little bit about logistics uh wintergreen i'm excited to come up i know a, a couple uh, coaches coming to help me we'll interface with your staff and we're getting the word out i know a lot of people are going to come and spend some time but housing and transportation um the um want to touch upon that so you know here i mean we're dealing with smaller numbers we're um you know we've got two airports 30 minutes away i mean occasionally we have to go down to miami but um so you, you with um is there shuttles from uh i mean uh winter green does have shuttles and i think you know for i think uh when we know where people are staying, I think we can for sure get a shuttle service going for them. The uh, the housing up there, there's there's an inn. It wouldn't be your traditional hotel type, but it's kind of a studio type uh, studio type rooms with a, a small kind of kitchenette, and it rains out to uh, rental homes that are part of the wintergreen rental pool which are, you know, can be two bedroom up to a nine bedroom homes. And, uh, they're pretty nice. All these have, you know, most, most of the, the bigger ones have just beautiful, you know, overlooks of the valleys and all, but, uh, so it's, it's pretty, pretty wide range, but it's, it wouldn't be like your traditional, uh, like a hotel type setting. Right? <laughs> And yeah. I think that actually adds to the environment here a little bit too. On, on this um, on this end of it, when people for years, um, you know, if, I guess I'm spoiled in that sense. Where if I go someplace, people are going to find where I am and come and work with me. And um, but I'd say what most people do now is we don't tell them what hotel is. They they just get on the internet, and so at your place, there's housing through the Wintergreen Company. But then yeah. private uh-huh. private housing as well. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a bit of both, and I think for those people that, like you said, that you know, 
have the RV lifestyle too. There's plenty of areas to park one of those. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a really, like I said, it's a very unique setting. There's places down in the valley, but there's also places up in the mountains for, for that kind of a. So, so if someone stays at the bottom of the mountain, uh, there's nearby hotels at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, no, not, there's still, there's cabins and stuff like that. Like so it's kind of a, it's, it's a bit of a rural setting, not, yeah. not a beat down rural setting, but it's, it's a, it's an upscale rural area. I mean, that's, that's why you have wineries at all. You know, there, it's not, um, well, I know that you, you but, and I, the wineries, uh, that'll loosen you up. Yeah. But I think with, yeah, uh, yeah. with summer number one, if it could go into summer number two, We've talked about some spinoff programs. I think summer number one, uh, the, the, our, the, we have certainly uh, people who are going to be listening to this. I mean, we're, uh, I guess, getting commercial. We're actually, yeah. uh, we're, 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 we're marketing right now. So, but with parents, if they rent a place, um, you know, they can bring other juniors. You know, that's where, uh, you know, they could even rent a house and, you know, one 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 set of parents could come, or one parent could come for one week, and another parent could come for the next week. And um, I think if it was summer number two, it'd be easier to be organizing that. But um, yeah, the, well, I uh, think that's yeah. I, I I knew like like in Texas back in like I said when we my traveled in the days when it was coaches when you take a whole van load of kids to something. You know, there's there's something kind of fun about a group all staying in the same place, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that thing about making new friends, that's a big quotient of that. Uh, you know, like I said, as a, as a junior, when I played, I mean, I remember playing, you know, all the way to Lubbock and down in Houston. There's times I actually, as a kid, you know, I'd met families at tournaments and, you know, we were planning on coming down and they'd say, well, you guys can, you know, once you went, we all stay together, you know? And, and we, we did a lot of that, even though these are, people you're going to be competing against and you know it's it's just fine you know and I, I think really in a lot of ways tennis could have a lot more of that too you know it's, uh, yeah with uh but it, it is separate the food and lodging people could organize that on their own i know with uh the easiest way to do it is uh you know yeah the the kids you know say well how do you how do you do it without a dormitory um I think that uh, the powers to be, the the leaders of uh, your company would have to see it, but you could uh, have kids. Uh, I don't see that happening initially because they'd have to look into all the liability issues. But um, I've run tennis camps where you have an air mattress and you know the, you get a sleeping bag and you can go buy each for $10 each. And you know you just turn the courts at night into the dormitory. Um, but with, with your place, I think with the idea is that uh, it's a it's a it's a pathway for parents to come and learn, you know, the attitude of the household, the lifestyle, you know, how do you bring up a tennis player? And I don't think that many people really know. <laughs> I hate to say that, but it really comes down to um, this is where we get accused of doom and gloom and being pessimistic. But why are, we have 62 percent. On the men's side, sixty percent on the women's side, form tennis players. You know why we lose people from tennis? They start and they leave the sport. Um, education, education, education. You know, with uh, 
too much emphasis on, you know, who's going to win the 10 and under tournament instead of let's just learn to play the sport. And then also, exactly. and then also too, and that comes back to pickleball is um, we've lost the, the kid being a multiple, multiple sport athlete. You know, now if you interview most young kids or their parents, it's like, well, they either play one sport or they don't play any. And I love what you said, uh, touched on many things, but a golden nugget from this is where you said, I just like kids to be outside. Like, yeah. like go play. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite know what indoor tennis was. So I was about 16. I need to say that <laughs> in Texas. There's, there's yeah. so, no, there's I, so few places. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll tell you, I was 35 before, um, I worked for tennis corporation of America. I traveled and talked quite a bit in indoor settings, but, uh, I do appreciate, uh, the overhead and it's not, not the one in tennis where indoor costs, uh, but that's another thing too, is that you can teach so many people on one indoor court. You know, we have, uh, 10 backboards being built to, uh, they're going to say wintergreen on them to bring up to your place. And, you know, you, you just get it. You know, that's, that's when, you know, you sit at a table and understandably, um, I wouldn't have any idea how a place like winter Haven functions. You know, it's such a big operation or but it could just, it could just be a tennis club. It's like, you know, well, how's membership work and how's the restaurant work. Yeah. And, but you know, that's where it's like how to make tennis work. And, um, we, we just, and then, and that's where I would like, I would like to see, um, uh, people who direct programs or club owners, you know, come and find out you know, this is, this is how you, this is how you get it done. When you want to, you know, when you want to uh, take over, that's a pretty aggressive term, but you're going to take over a tennis facility and you're going to inherit the junior program. Say you go in as a tennis director and there's already, you know, pro staff, six to, to 12 tennis coaches just so many pieces to the puzzle and it's like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to transition this in pro sports? You know, they get a new head coach. I mean, the head coach brings in his whole staff. Say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, but no, I think that, um, a number of people doesn't, you know, I think that a lot of, they'll think it's a junior camp, but, uh, I would say anybody, uh, who's interested in learning, about developmental tennis could benefit by coming to what we can do together at Wintergreen. Exactly. No, it's, it's, it's solution oriented. <laughs> yeah. I'll end with, I'll end with one thing. Uh, that's good. Solution oriented. Yeah. I think end with one thing. I one time had a poster who knows, maybe you made the poster back in the heyday is that uh, <laughs> we had a Vic Braden, you know, Vic Braden would come in and on Friday night it would be in an auditorium and I'd try to get as many people as I could. I mean, even people like to play golf because Vic, you know, just, hey Vic, we got golfers, we got everybody in the audience. But with one of the last phrases was, it's, you know, it was like bullet points. The, sem- the Friday night seminar is for boom, boom, boom. And the, the last bullet point was for anybody who wants to laugh. And, you know, Braden goes, can I get a copy of that poster? Yeah, so there you go, documentation. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. about you uh, no. sending us off here with, uh, with a note? It's been great to have you on. I know there's a lot of nuggets from this that the listeners will really enjoy, benefit from. Uh, yeah, I'd just I'd sign off with a thank you to you, and 
I think the quote, the good quote is laugh and win. I'm going to stay with that one. I've had a good time. It's a big circle. And I've had a lot of laughter along the way, but it's, it's been darn good. So uh, follow your bliss. <laughs> yeah, no, laugh and win. I used to tell Vic, I don't get the laugh part. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, way back when I was with Vic, I mean, some of the guys on the, on the staff thought, thought I could go and do amateur night at uh, one of those laugh stops, one of those where the, you know, they have yeah. amateurs get up and grab the microphone and try to get mm-hmm. people to laugh. And uh, yeah. Vic also... Well, there's Vic, that psychological component to that about laughter, though, about relaxing. Yeah. yeah. So, swearing, yeah. Makes, swearing makes you relax a little bit, too. Makes your heart rate. Makes your, makes your makes your heart rate go down. Long, long as long as it's just long as it's just brief, but but uh, yeah, it depends where it's directed. But, but, it's someone else or it's yourself. Yeah, yeah. With with junior tennis, uh, you know, Vic used to say, um, you know, before he started coaching juniors, I was six foot three and thin, and I used, yeah. I tell people I used to have a full head of hair. But no, um, but no, I do think that, uh, um, yeah, I told someone just today, uh, coach from Poland who, you know, actually his wife, uh, Carla Navarro, now Wojciech, she's been on her podcast is, um, with, yeah, people just need to have fun and, uh, that, that sense of enjoyment. Um, I was just telling him today that it's, it's, I mean, when the, the kids are all stressed out and the coaches are, um, you know, it's like, okay, it's, it's, you, you mirror they're they're out there and they're just all uptight about winning and losing. And, um, you know, Vic used to say so many things. If a million people play half a million lose today and yeah, don't, <laughs> Never don't, don't you know, it's okay, okay. To, okay. To lose the match, but don't lose the lesson. And, exactly. um, but just that, that, that laugh and win part is, um, you know, there's, you know, sign off Jimmy Connors. I'll say this once a week anyway, is that the greatest thing in life, and he got this from Bobby Riggs, be in the game. You know, I just love, like, where did that come from? Find the source, find yeah. the source. Is the greatest thing in life is to play tennis and win. The second greatest thing in life is to play tennis and lose. Um, but yeah. but at the same time, it's Bradenisms. If, if you have an engineering problem, you know, you, you have a lousy serve. That's Pete Sampras's word. He didn't follow you to say, that's lousy, that's lousy. Read his autobiography. But if it's crummy, it's crummy. If you have a lousy serve, you're, 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 you're not going to have that much fun. And I think that's one thing about pickleball, too, is that you can, right now you can have lousy everything and have fun playing pickleball. And, you know, so, yeah. so we, we in tennis need to go, okay, but we need to be missionary zeal for, for promoting our game and say, hey, you know, play pickleball this way because you can also then play tennis. And I do think that there's an invisible tsunami coming for the people who are playing pickleball that aren't playing pickleball with any, with any thought of biomechanics. And that, you know, yeah. I, I love that invisible tsunami. I tell juniors all the time, that might even pat myself on the back, be an original thought, is that invisible tsunami is just going to wipe out players. It's like, what happened? It's like, no, you, you got to a certain level. And tennis is a triangle. You know, I mean... In other words, if you keep competing, you just keep going to a higher level of that triangle, and it's the peak of a mountain. Um, but we have said that, ending with the peak of a mountain, is that I'm excited to, with you, uh, present a yeah. mo- mountain of information on a mountainside resort. Oh, I like that. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm going to right. write that on a bathroom wall. 
But Steve, yeah. all the best. Yeah, I look forward there. to joining you. Uh, uh, I know we're talking yeah. on a regular basis. Um, yeah. But it's um, been fantastic to, it, to so. talk to you. And uh, uh, thank you, thank you, thank I wanna, you. I want to see a, see a lot of bodies up here. All right. Yeah. We. Uh, right. How's it go? In the movie, it was. Um, it's really build it and he will come. But it, it's been changed to build it and they will come. Um, that's a great word. Is uh, It takes a lot to build a tennis player. All right, Steve. Okay. All right. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. All the best. Will right. we'll okay. be. All right. All right. Adios. Okay. Bye, brother. All right. Bye. All right, listeners. Podcast 134 is in the books. I'm going to shut up because I know it's been a long podcast. and uh, But I do tell, even we'd like to, you know, even some of the juniors, you know, it would take, if it's three hours, a marathon, it would take 1% of the week for people. So listen to it 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And, I like to tell people too is that you're not so much listening to me. You know, tonight I had the opportunity to listen to Steve Campbell, but there's some nuggets that really come from from history, and you you really don't know your subject matter unless you know the history. All right, thanks. I'm out. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>